Welcome to the regular uh, meeting of the Blacksburg Planning Commission. Regular meetings of the Blacksburg Planning Commission are held here on the first Tuesday of each month in the Roger E. Hedgepath Chambers at 6.30. We're in the Blacksburg Municipal Building at 300 South Main Street. Citizens may address the Planning Commission during specified times on the agenda and are requested to adhere to the following. Please speak at the podium. Please state your name and address. Direct comments only to the commission. Please uh, limit your speaking time to a maximum of three minutes. There'll be a little device on the podium that'll help you with that. Speak only once during a specific hearing or comment period. A wireless microphone is available to anyone requ requesting the assistance. Please silence your cell phones. Please show respect for all speakers and allow all opinions to be expressed in a tolerant atmosphere. With that, we'll call the meeting to order. May we have a roll call, please? Mr. Ford? Here. Mr. Herbine? Here. Mr. Kassoff? Present. Ms. Reinhardt? Here. Ms. Walker? Here. Mr. Watson? Present. I'm Mel Jones. I'm here. We have a quorum. Thank you. Uh, Tonight, uh, we'll address the consent agenda. We actually have six items, five items on the consent agenda. First item on the consent agenda is CUP 23002, which is a request to combine previously approved conditional use permits at Kent Square at 202 and 205 South Main Street to increase the maximum allowable ground floor medical and general office square footage in downtown commercial zoning district by Kent Square LLC. And the action is to schedule a public hearing for April 4th, 2023. The second item on the consent agenda is ZOA 47 zoning ordinance amendment to update the accessory apartment program and add detached accessory uh, to add detached accessory apartments. And the action there is to schedule a public hearing for April 4th, 2023. The next item is rezoning 23001 ordinance 2014, which is a request to rezone uh, 0.816 acres of land from downtown commercial to planned residential at 208 Turner Street. And the action there is to cancel the March 7, 2023 public hearing and reschedule for May, 20, May 2nd, 2023. The fourth item is SUB 23001, which is a major subdivision preliminary plat review for 51 lots on 36 acres at 2150 Progress Street Northwest for Northside Park Revisited Revised Section 12 by Balzer and Associates for CC and B Development LLC, the owner. And the proposed action there is to cancel the March 7th, 2023 public hearing and reschedule for May 2nd, 2023. Last item on the consent agenda is CUP 0001, a conditional use permit request for medium industrial use in the industrial zoning district at 3210 Commerce Street uh, by Larry Bullock of Boxley Ready Mix 
for Henry and Susan Henderson, the owners. And the public hearing has been canceled and the application has been withdrawn. Do we have a motion? I move approval of the consent agenda as presented. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. We'll now move on to our only public hearing for tonight, other than those that were canceled, uh, as mentioned in the consent agenda. Tonight's consent uh, public hearing is rezoning 22004, ordinance 2007 which is a request to rezone 44.85 acres of vacant land from RR1 Rural Residential to PR Planned Residential at 1006 Glade Road by Meredith Jones of Eden and Associates, BC, the applicant, for Carrie Hopper of Glade Spring Crossing, LLC, the owner. And we have a staff presentation. Thank you. This is a request to rezone approximately 45 acres in the 1,000 block of Glade Road. The current use is agricultural. It is currently zoned RR1. The future land use designation is low-density residential. <coughs> there are a number of key dates that you see on the screen. You can see that we have discussed this at several work sessions. Staff has provided you with a number of different staff reports and memos that follow those application updates as we have received them. If you all take your action this evening, uh, the town council dates will be scheduled following that. All of the application materials, staff report and correspondence are, have been provided on the web. Uh, you all have also received at your dais uh, correspondence from March 3rd through three o'clock this afternoon. This has also been posted to the web. We held four work sessions with lengthy discussion of a number of different topic areas. The subject parcel is seen highlighted in blue on your screen. Cutting from north to south, east of the property is the US 460 bypass. At the bottom of the screen is Glade Road, and the village at Tom's Creek is towards the top of the screen. The request before you this evening is to rezone approximately 44 acres from RR1 to PR to construct 176 single, two-family, and townhome residential units. It will be a mix of community land trust affordable homes, mixed income market rate homes, and higher end market rate single family homes. The application includes the construction of public streets, including a connection between Glade Road and Village Way South. Public utilities, including a sanitary sewer pump station, will also be constructed. Along with this request is a request to remove the parcel from the Toms Creek Basin unsewered area to serve the development with traditional gravity sewer instead of stepsteg tanks. The applicant is requesting commitment on several items, affordable housing with the town's ARPA funding, a contribution and a contribution to stormwater management to construct a regional quality and quantity wet pond. There's also a request to modify the floodplain boundary, a request to modify the Creek, ba Creek Valley overlay boundary and a request to do grading and construction in the Creek Valley overlay in order to accommodate the pump station and trails. This is just to orient you, uh, <clears throat> this is the applicant's uh, overall development concept that was seen on the screen. In the corner you can see the aerial image. We turn 90 degrees for all of the application uh, graphics. So this is Village of Tom's Creek here on the right hand side of the screen, Glade Road on the left hand side, and 460 Bypass on the bottom. The applicant has divided the, the uh, 
project into two different development areas, the north area, which will include market rate homes, and the south area, which will include mixed income homes. The criteria for evaluation of rezoning requests is found on page seven of your staff report and seen on the screen. We first look at the future land use, which is low density residential and, and allows up to and including four units per acre. There was a comprehensive plan map amendment in 2021 that changed from low density residential to very low from very low density residential to low density residential. It's not located in an urban and development area, and it is split between suburban residential and rural or undeveloped areas in the neighborhood employment and service areas map. There's a number of comprehensive plan goal uh, texts that, that deal with affordable housing especially. Nearly half of the respondents in the most recent housing income housing comprehensive plan survey desired more affordable housing options. In response to this, the applicant is proffering affordable units in the mix of homes. Several of these homes, 10 of these homes will be used with those ARPA funds to be constructed for households up to earning, eight, earning up to 80% of AMI. The remaining 14 homes will be for households earning up to 100% AMI and up to 120% AMI. The remaining lots in the south area are proposed by the applicant to be smaller market rate homes. These will be small homes on small lots. Some will be detached single family, some will be attached to family, and some will be townhome units. The north area, 43 lots, are proposed to be entirely market rate, single family detached homes, similar to the village of Toms Creek. Beginning in 2023, the town will conduct 2232 reviews on all rezoning requests to ensure that public infrastructure, especially arterial and collector roads, are accommodated in any proposed development in conformance with the comprehensive plan. The roadway connections are in keeping with the intent of land use connectivity. As we evaluate the application against the zoning ordinance, it is the applicant's burden to prove that the application meets the intent of the planned residential zoning district, which can be met in a number of different ways. In exchange for flexibility for the applicant to provide many of the proposed development standards, the application plan and proffers are binding. Any modifications would require the applicant to undergo an amendment to the rezoning application. This is the current zoning scene on the screen. You can see it is all in the green RR1. Overall standards apply such as open space, canopy coverage, and gross density. Individual lot standards regulate the development on individual residential parcels, whether north or south. The perception of density varies due to other development standards such as minimum lot size, minimum frontage, maximum height, and floor to area ratio. Overall, the applicant is proposing a density of four units per acre. We evaluate perimeter setbacks as well in terms of their compatibility with adjacent neighborhoods. You can see the setbacks proposed on the screen for the south area in this column here, the north area in this column here, and the adjacent uh, village at Tom's Creek overall rear setback, the RR1 zoning district setback, and the adjacent farm PR setback. Open space is required as a planned residential uh, district standard and as a townhome use and design standard. 20% 20, 20 minimum is required. The applicant is proposing a minimum of 35 open space in two large blocks and two small, small blocks, including recreational amenities. You can see the open spaces on the screen indicated by the yellow blocks. 
the green areas indicate those areas that are designated as open space. As we look at the individual lot standards, the applicant is proposing two sets of individual lot standards, whether north or south. The north area is more for single-family detached homes that are more in keeping with the neighboring village at Thomas Creek. The south area proposed standards are more small lot standard in order to deter develop a cluster pattern for development efficiency. The chart on the screen is found on page 12 of the January 13th staff report and illustrates the proposed district standards in the first two columns, north and south. Compared with the overall village at Toms Creek, the adjacent development in village at Toms Creek along Village Way South, the RR1 zoning district in general, the developed pattern of the adjacent homes in the RR1 zoning district and the adjacent farm. I'm not going to discuss each of these individual standards for the two development areas, but the charts found on page 14 and 15 of the staff report. As you can see, the south area proposed standards are significantly more intense than the surrounding area, except for the farm, including the proposed standards in the north part of the development. The north area standards are more comparable to the surrounding neighborhood. We'll look at several of these individual lot standards as we evaluate their compatibility with the neighborhood. <clears throat> the applicant has added a restriction for minimum building separation in the south area, which, which will help accommodate the driveway location restrictions that they have proposed that reduce front yard pavement. They have also added a proffer of maximum square footage that ensures that homes are constructed in development. They're all relatively similar in size and scale. The proposed square footage in this cap is less than what the Florida area ratio would allow, which means that homeowners may add square footage to their homes in the future by additions, finishing basements, or adding other accessory structures. There are a number of use and design standards pertaining to townhomes. The applicant has provided a pattern book that provides information on architectural style and, and details. This slide shows a number of different types of physical uh, architectural variation possible for single and attached units in addition to color, which is not seen in these screens. The applicant is providing, uh, they're requesting a variance to modify uh, townhome use and design standards uh, for that front yard setback. They're proposing to provide variation among uh, either color, uh, uh, fenestration, uh, porch details, architectural details, uh, and, and no two of those attached units would be able to be identical. As we look at parking and driveways, this slide shows the modifications that are needed for the parking lot layout proposed by the applicant. In the item seen on the screen, the applicant is requesting to eliminate the standards except the last, where they have proposed a modification that I'll go over in the next slides. The subdivision ordinance requires driveways to be a minimum distance from intersections for safety. The applicant is requesting a closer distance due to the smaller lot size. The graphic provided by the applicant that you see on the screen indicates that due to the narrow lot frontage and depth, some lots will simply not meet the minimum lot distance requirements. The applicant is requesting a modification from 50 feet to 20 feet. The applicant is proposing a minimum driveway depth of 20 feet. They have also added a restriction in their application that reduces the number of double width driveways that can be adjacent to one another addressing a concern that large blocks of front yards may be paved for parking. This graphic provided by the applicant illustrates the application of this restriction. What you see in the purple 
highlights the permitted locations of double width driveways. You can see the blocks of four townhomes. Each end unit has a side driveway shown in blue. This light purple area also indicates that which will have to be a minimum of 20 feet deep. The planned residential district allows applicants to propose an alternate parking ratio based on a number of factors including unit type, target market, proximity to services, and access to trails and transit. The applicant is proposing a parking ratio of two spaces per unit which is similar and in keeping with other single family uses. The planned residential district allows applicants to propose landscaping for the development that should be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis for appropriateness to the development and compatibility with the neighborhood. The development canopy coverage is usually satisfied at the beginning of development with planting new trees. Over time, the trees reach maturity and based on species, will ultimately cover some percentage of the overall development. The applicant is proposing a different approach that includes planting some new trees, but allowing natural natural species succession to provide canopy over time as the open space progresses from post-agricultural fields to shrub thickets to mixed hardwood forests. <clears throat> the town does not have a metric to follow this sort of approach to ensure the development is on target to achieve the required canopy. The applicant has proffered several timing mechanisms and implementation strategies that are in response to these concerns. One is that the HOA will be responsible for implementing any recommendations from their hired expert, and that there will be target metrics at specified times after the development commences that require minimum canopy coverage. This graphic shows all of the different types of landscape areas that the applicant is proposing. The purple and green areas indicate those that are those successional management areas. The applicant is proposing a different standard for street trees for one for every 100 feet of frontage in the south area and one for every 80 feet of frontage in the north area. They provide a justification that the narrow lot sizes, uh, utilities, and driveways make it difficult to be able to provide trees along the street. However, they are addressing this concern by requiring each lot to have a minimum of one tree. Some of those trees will be in the front yard, some of those trees may be in the backyard, especially for those attached units. In the north area, each of those lots is required to have two trees. As we evaluate their request for the Creek Valley overlay, this is a restrictive zoning overlay district that is located west of the US 465 pass and it's designed to protect sensitive creek areas and adjacent land from development and grading. Some activities may be allowed within the Creek Valley overlay district with specific, uh, specific permitted uses and specific permission from the zoning administrator. The applicant is requesting to redraw the Creek Valley overlay based on the geographical criteria in the ordinance. The applicant's request does include a revised survey data that shows the 100-year floodplain as well as areas of 25% or greater slope and a revised map of U.S. waters including wetlands. They will have to further revise their, their Creek Valley overlay boundary to include the wetlands that were further identified by ECS in their application. There are a number of applicable sub subdivision standards for this development. Planned residential developments must meet all subdivision standards unless they specifically request variances. As I mentioned before, there is a companion request to remove this parcel from the Toms Creek Basin unsewered area. What this means is that this, would, this allows this development to be served by traditional gravity sewer, which is appropriate for this level of density. The applicant will be required to construct a pump station on the property to uh, serve their uh, development and provide a force main that will 
then tie into the town's gravity sewer. The applicant's requesting a sidewalk variance for several things. Sidewalks are required along all new public streets. They're proposed, they're required to have a five foot concrete width with a four foot vegetative strip. They are requesting one variance to allow trail in lieu of sidewalk in some areas and also requesting to reduce the buffer strip from four feet to three feet. They're also requesting to eliminate sidewalk in the north area of the development. This graphic indicates the areas where there will be no sidewalk on indicated in orange. These <coughs> orange dashed lines on the map indicate the areas where there will be trail in lieu of sidewalk. And these blue areas indicate where sidewalk will be provided. These are the areas where the applicant is requesting to modify the vegetative buffer strip from four feet to three feet. The applicant has also submitted a request to reduce the width of public utility easements along the perimeter of the development where there are adjacent public utility easements. They did provide a graphic in their last uh, variance request that shows that there are two locations for this. <clears throat> the applicant is also requesting a, a variance to curb and gutter requirements. The subdivision ordinance requires that all new streets be constructed with standard CG6 curb and gutter on new streets. They're requesting roll top curb to be allowed in the south area and they're requesting no curb of any kind in the north area and instead to use roadside ditches for their stormwater management. This variance should be evaluated for, for its appropriateness in both applications, the north and the south. The applicant has also requested variances regarding street grades and landings at the proposed connection with Villageway South. They're requesting a maximum of 15% for the connection and they're requesting to reduce the landing length from 100 feet to 50 feet at Village Way South. The applicant is also requesting to modify the town's requirement for a cul-de-sac. The town requires a bulb cul-de-sac to be constructed, but states that a bulb or a branch or Y can also be constructed. The applicant is requesting the, the branch type turnaround. As we evaluate the application, uh, the proposed development's impact on infrastructure, we evaluate their transportation analysis. They did submit a turn lane warrant and a level of service analysis. As part of the turn lane warrant, uh, in their initial conversations, it was determined that based on their development uh, proposal, that a turn lane would be required. And so in coordination with the farm development nearby, they were able to provide additional right of way in front of the farm to accommodate the required turn lane. <coughs> There is no left-hand turn lane that is required into the development. We look at sanitary sewer. As I mentioned, this is proposed to come out of the unsewered area. A pump station is proposed. There are several downstream inadequacies that have been identified with the proposed utility design. However, the town uh, and the applicant are working together on a sanitary sewer agreement to be able to provide the appropriate level of sanitary sewer for this development. The applicant is proposing regional stormwater wet pond to help mitigate downstream quality and quantity conditions. They are requesting town funding to assist with the development of this regional wet pond. The stormwater concept plan has been approved by town engineering staff. The applicant has shown that the proposed facilities can meet the town's regulations. There are additional considerations for the floodplain and the flood study that were also provided in your staff report and additional engineering memos. I'm going to go over the proffers generally, and following the proffers, I'll go over the variances generally as well. <coughs> a 
March 6th proffer statement, the first proffer is for substantial conformance with the most revised application. The second is that the Homeowners Association will enforce the proffers and the application requirements. The third is the proffer regarding open space, so it encompasses the amount of open space that they will provide, that they'll construct the trails that they have shown on the maps, uh, that the open space will be owned by the home, owned and maintained by the Homeowners Association except those public trails, and then there's the language about the Homeowners Association securing that um, expert in the field of uh, natural, um, these types of natural landscapes for those managed successional areas. This also provides them uh, the requirement to implement those uh, recommendations by the, uh, by the expert. The fourth proffer uh, talks about the landscaping and all of the different types of landscaping that they are proposed as well as kind of the measuring strategies or the uh, metrics that they are proposing to use. The fifth regards the recreation amenities that will be constructed including the active recreation amenities in the second phase of development and the passive recreation amenity in the first phase of development. The sixth proffer discusses the trails to be constructed and where they will be constructed. The seventh proffer discusses that vehicles will be prohibited on Village Way South, that there will be a barrier and written notification. The eighth proffer regards affordable housing for the 24 units. I have these on the screen. Matt Hanrighty is going to come up and discuss these individually um, so that we can kind of go over these as well, but I'm gonna run by this before we come back to it. The ninth proffer talks about the mix of housing types for the south area as well as maximum square footage. The tenth talks about that there can only be single family homes in the north area. The eleventh talks about phasing. The twelfth gives those rental restrictions and some of those homeowner association restrictions. The thirteenth discusses the recalculation of the floodplain and development in conformance with the town's regulations with regard to the location of the pump station. The last is that the applicant will proffer a 15 mile an hour speed limit. After Matt goes through the proffers, then we'll go through those variances. Thank you, Kinsey. We just wanted to do this to avoid confusion with everybody with the changing proffer statement, so kind of clarify everything so we're all on the same page. So as Kinsey has up on the screen, these are the proffers. Um, these were the proffers earlier last week as well, which is basically a 10-10-4 split, meaning 10 homes at 80% or below area median income, 10 homes at 100%, between 80 and 100% area median income, four homes at 100 to 120% area median income. Our energy efficiency standards are in there as well. Um, and then um, basically what happened is we have been working with the developer and the builder to figure out this process. It's new for us, it's new for them, it's new for everybody. This is the first time we're doing a deal with a private developer in the town and the first time we're doing a community land trust deal. So it's very iterative in figuring out what market conditions will be three years from now. The bottom line is the RFP that was issued in the fall, which we evaluated under the assumption of those 10-10-4 split will be honored um, and it's figuring out how that is worded in the proffer statement. But that is the bottom line. Um, the miscommunication was a conversation between the town and the builder and what we were trying to work through and how we each mitigate our risk but get the units on the ground in whatever market conditions are three years from now. Um, and not understanding that that was just a working draft, not a final vetted thing by town staff because that violated part of the request for proposals in the fall. 
the applicant knows that and is aware of that now and that miscommunication. So just kind of wanted to clear the air of what happened. Um, the bottom line is the proffers will, will reflect what is on your screen and that will get us 24 units at that split at the end of the day. The detail will be in the development agreement on how that flows, how the sales flow, because it can vary and it varies across the country. There's no one set model for how that works, for how they're built, and that's what we're kind of experiencing growing pains with that. So I just wanted to kind of clear that for planning commission that everyone understands that the bottom line to go back to is that request for proposal and what the project was evaluated on. So should this be approved, that's what will be honored and that's what the proffer will ultimately reflect is that, which is those units and the energy efficiency at the end of the day. Those units going to the community land trust and the energy efficiency numbers to make it as simple as possible. So just wanted to let everybody know that. And if there's questions, this conversation comes up, I'll be here to answer anything. Thank you. I do want to point out while we're on this slide that the applicant has included the proffer for energy efficiency for the 24 units, but has removed the proffer that you all previously saw at a work session for the remainder of the homes in the development. As I mentioned, there are a number of different variances and modifications that are requested. Uh, you all have all of this information in front of you. Again, I will kind of go over these briefly and generally. Um, they have provided been provided to you in prior staff reports, and in general, they're listed on the next three slides in the order in which they appear in the ordinances. So the first is the request to allow parking in front of the building line for townhomes. The second is the request to eliminate the facade setback variation and instead to provide different uh, architectural details between adjacent units. The third is to allow parking in front of the building line for two family dwellings. Uh, next is to allow two, ham two family dwellings and townhomes to have driveways that require backing into the street. Next is a request to reduce the required street tree ratio from 1 to 30 to 1 to 80 and 1 to 100. Next is the request to eliminate the requirement to, to dedicate a street to adjacent property parcel ID 012579. We discussed this at our first work session. Next is subdivision uh, request to eliminate the requirement for the bulb cul-de-sac and instead provide a branch type turnaround on street D. Next is to increase the maximum street grade from 10% to 15% for portions of street A. A request to reduce the minimum intersection landing from 100 feet to 50 feet for portions of street A. A request to eliminate the required CG6 curb and gutter and instead provide modified rolled curb or roll top curb along portions of street A and all of street B, street D, street C, and provide roadside ditch along portions of street A and all of street E. A request to reduce the minimum block length from 500 feet to 200 feet. A request to reduce the minimum driveway separation from property lines from three feet to zero feet a request to reduce the minimum driveway separation from intersections from 50 feet to 20 feet for specific lots, a request to eliminate required sidewalk along portions of street A and all of street E, a request to provide trail in lieu of sidewalk along portions of street A and all of street D, request to reduce minimum planting strip from sidewalk and curb from four feet to three feet, and a request to eliminate pavement or gravel requirement for open space access and provide grass trails instead, a request to reduce the re required perimeter public utility easements from 15 feet to seven and a half feet 
where there are 15-foot public utility easements adjacent. Town Engineering Director Randy is also here. Uh, if you have questions about any of the street variances or any of those kinds of things, he'd be happy to answer any questions. That concludes my presentation. I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have as well. Questions for staff? I have some. Okay, let's hear uh, them. Kenzie, in the most recent sort of staff documents, there was some discussion regarding the bike lanes on Glade and a potential for a roundabout sometime in the future. And I wondered if you could just. I'll let Randy speak to that one. That okay. was definitely. Okay. His wheelhouse. All right, and then the, the second question was, um, in reviewing sort of all of the correspondence over the last couple of days, um, I came across the handwritten note by one of the neighbors regarding access to their lower garage mm -hmm. in the event that um, the, the access is made between um, Village of Tom's Creek and Glade Springs Crossing. Was that resolved? Um, Randy can probably speak to that too. Okay. Yeah. All right. Randy's the man of the hour for me. Anybody else? Yeah, I have a question for Randy after. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the Glade Road, Old Glade Road, I think is yeah. your first question. Yes. So we, the traffic study, we did ask them to analyze that intersection, and they determined. When, they, when you do a level of service analysis, you look at three conditions. You look at the existing conditions as today when you did the traffic count. You look at the projected traffic, background traffic, so to speak, in your build-out year without your site traffic. And you look at the building build-out with the projected background traffic plus the site traffic distributed. So when they did that analysis, it was determined that there are some, uh, there was a decrease in level of service under the no build scenario. So even without the, uh, the development, we anticipate there could be an issue at that intersection. So the resolution was, at this point, we looked at what a three-way stop condition, which will help uh, eliminate the decrease in the level of service. Um, so that would be the, uh, it's kind of an interim measure that we would do. And I can say we because, because it's under the no-build condition, the town feels like it would happen anyway, so that should be something the town should implement. Now, the roundabout um, may be a good solution there. Unfortunately, it's a future solution. It's just I don't think there's adequate space there right now uh, to put in a roundabout because you still have to, while you may be able to navigate a passenger car, for instance, around the roundabout, you've got to look at a design vehicle, probably larger than a passenger car, it still has to navigate around the roundabout. Plus, we have a loading dock at Kroger and a loading dock at University Mall that even with the three-way condition, we're gonna to have to do some more evaluation on how we handle that. From a roundabout standpoint, that might mean having to shift the roundabout through there to provide enough space for it. And at this point, we don't have the right of way to do that. That would be definitely a future project that the town would have to look at. 
then in regards to bike lanes? Yes, we, the, the applicant proposed maybe a three-way, a, an option that would eliminate the bike lanes. We uh, don't like that solution. Um, we had a consultant who was also looking at our traffic study and helping us review it. And he developed, it's preliminary, but he developed a plan that we think would work with, uh, to navigate the vehicles plus keep the bike lanes in place okay. so that um, vehicles and bicyclists can get through the intersection. So we anticipate that the bike lanes will stay? Yes. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that. And then my other question was regarding um, the person who's um, oh. lower. So we did meet, and I talked to the gentleman on the phone. Um, kind of it ended with, um, he asked if we could require that the applicant provide him a driveway, mm -hmm. and I don't think we can. He has an existing driveway. We can't require the applicant to provide him a second driveway. Um, perhaps he could talk to the applicant if it just depends upon, you know, right now we're working within the confines of the 50-foot right-of-way, right. so um, his his driveway would be, it would be a little tricky with those conditions, it might work. But, um, I don't, there's, I don't see a way to incorporate that, a second driveway into the plan. Mm -hmm. Several of the variances, in particular the one allowing for the backing and maneuvering into the street from the driveways, mm -hmm. and then the one that where we're reducing the driveway distance from intersections from 50 to 20 feet. You know, those are safety-oriented things. The, um, the proffer offered that the speed limits will be 15 miles instead of 25. That should help. You know, is it fair to say that that would help a little bit? Um, it's safer, slower speeds. It, it'll you know, if we allow that, the slower speed helps compensate a little? Yes. I, it's, it's limited space to react, but certainly if everybody's following a 15-mile-an-hour speed line, limit, that should help increase that reaction time if you're driving and somebody's pulling out of their driveway. Mm. I, had, I had a question, um, I think, for staff uh, related to what Matt brought up. Um, I hear that the proffer will eventually reflect the aims and intentions of permanent affordability, but my reading is that it does not at the moment. Can you clarify what it means for us to hear tonight that it will eventually reflect that? Current version that you have is dated March the 6th and does include these items. It does currently as of March 6th as not of as of 6th, March not, 3rd not and as that's of March 3rd yeah the March 6th one does the March 3rd one does not okay. that you. clarify just so we're all on the same page there's no questions for staff I, I have one more question sure. um, Randy, you indicated you might have some slides that would help us understand the grade um, at areas where um, the variance has been requested. I would still be interested to see those. All visual, so. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> 
So um, I just drove around town thinking, let me find some streets that are steep and pulling out the town topo and getting a grade based on it. Okay. So we looked at Highland Circle up as you go into the Oakton subdivision and that's a picture of that street and I'm standing at basically sunrise and Highland Circle looking down Somerset or looking down towards Somerset that's Highland Circle so it's about 15 and a half percent and that's I just went to the bottom of the slope <laughs> and shot up so I'm basically at Somerset there in Oakton subdivision looking back towards Highland Circle and Sunrise. This is Highland Circle at Park Drive, um, about 13%. This is Highland Circle near Cup Street, and you can see back just beyond the vehicle that's parked there. You can see it start, the row starting to rise a little bit there. That's where it's about 20% grade. The rest of it is about 15%. Um, Park Drive, I'm standing at Highland Circle looking towards Valley View, about 12.5%. I'm at the bottom of the slope looking back up, so it's looking at Valley View back up towards Highland Circle. This is Cup Drive, looking towards Locust, about 15%. Um, this is Walnut. I'm at the intersection of Walnut and Primrose, looking back down Walnut, about 13% grade. From Clare to Primrose, I'm standing um, beyond Clare, but looking back up towards Primrose, about 11.6, 12% grade. At Alaco to Primrose, that's kind of an overall. So, looking from Primrose or yeah, from Alaco up towards Primrose, about ten point eight percent. And that's it. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Really helped, Randy. <clears throat> no, sorry. Any additional? I've got yeah. one. Yeah, just one last one. I was talking with. I think it was either. Mike or Dean today out in the neighborhood. The connectivity bit between the new neighborhood and Village Way, um, the distance between that intersection and the driveways there along that road, does that 50 feet that's required apply to that intersection as well? Does a reduction to 20 apply there? Hmm. So, let's see, I'm gonna go back to a map. So 50 feet here at 5% is what the applicant is requesting. That's the variance that they're requesting. Okay. There would be no changes that would be made to this portion of Village Way South. Gotcha, I, I suppose my curiosity was about the distance between those driveways and the intersection itself. Oh, okay. Um, Randy, you may be able to better speak to that as well. I, this one, this one, this neighboring one is, would be really close. I think so. you could count it on one hand, the number of feet between that intersection and the driveway. So the adjacent property owner, we did talk about that. His driveway at this point at, um, okay, he's yeah, right there. He's about 20 feet maybe from what would be the street. 
Um, that's, that is kind of close, but I don't know another way to get a driveway in there. I mean, that, that variance, that reduction from 50 feet to 20 feet, that applies to that portion of the neighborhood as well? I think it was just to the lots that Kinsey pointed out. Okay. And I, the others, I, I have I haven't measured back anything beyond him. So. Sure. So that wouldn't that wouldn't would that cause any kind of trouble in constructing that road there, in compliance with it? Okay. It's it's just it's close. Gotcha. Thank you. Anything further for staff? All right. Hearing none, we'll move on to the applicant presentation. This. I need to hold this. No. Okay. Good evening, Planning Commission. Meredith Jones with Eden and Associates. Um, we're excited to be here with this development, and it's been a long road, about three years in the planning, and then 15 months um, with staff and talking to staff and making sure that what we are proposing here is actually something that, that may happen. So. Um, we appreciate everybody's work through this, staff's work, your work, um, and all of your time. So thank you. Um, I want to start off with a quote from the developer here. Um, he couldn't be here tonight, but he wanted to leave me with a quote so that you all could understand why he's trying to do this development. I want to do this development because I have known about the dire need for affordable and workforce housing in Blacksburg. It's a justice environmental an economic issue that people who work in a community should be able to afford to live in that community. Because I see young professionals having to live in Christiansburg or Giles and commute here instead of living here. Diversity enriches the community and the opportunity to capture these families will only benefit the businesses and enhance the downtown life. Blacksburg currently loses that benefit to other communities. We have worked hard to try to provide um, mixed income housing on this site, which is something different that, that Blacksburg is really not used to seeing. Uh, hence, we have a lot of different variances and, and you know, density that, that we're not used to dealing with here. Um, so a few facts. The average cost to build is $300 to $500 per square foot in Virginia. Um, so dollars are important to us, as I've been saying through this process, that every piece of infrastructure has been thought, thought out um, in terms of what is its cost, what is its practicality, <coughs> is, it, is it really needed within the development to move forward, and we, we weighed that very heavily. So coming forward to you um, with what we think is a really great plan that does provide what it needs for its residences. Every, every penny that's spent on infrastructure is balanced with the stewardship of providing real opportunities in the town of Blacksburg for better quality of life for our critical workforce. And we'd like for everybody to keep that in, in mind. Um, this is to get people in town, um, even some that live in town that are renting that would like to own homes and retain them in our town to provide something for them that, that they can afford um, to live in our town and enjoy our town. Um, to pull this off takes coordination and partnership. We have a great uh, builder partner in Eagle Construction. We have been in collaboration with the town. Um, it, we would be remiss not to try to come in collaboration with the town and really figure out what the town needs from this development. Um, and we're, we're enjoying partnering with the town on portions of this development. 
So we know this project looks a little different, and yes, that's on purpose because our objective is different than any other development that you've seen come into Blacksburg. Um, we want to provide the town for that much needed mixed income housing, particularly the low to middle income ranges where there is a big deficit in town supply. We want to locate that affordable and workforce housing near jobs, services, schools, and public areas. Um, there are a few parcels available in town to accommodate this type of development with the existing infrastructure. Um, so we feel like that, that this location and that existing infrastructure is the perfect place to be able to, to help um, you all and council meet those goals for the housing. You've, you've seen these um, statistics. I won't spend a lot of time here. Um, 109 workforce housing units, I want to stress again that we're, we're um, going through and proffering and limiting building sizes now um, to try to make sure that we get that workforce housing that we're looking for. Um, 43 market rate lots are required to balance out those economics for us. Uh, across the site so that we can afford the affordable housing units and the workforce units. So what are we giving back on this development? The developer is donating 24 lots of land to the New River Land Trust. The builder will forego profits on the 24 homes. This is in addition to the town's ARPA, ARPA funding if this is approved and that ARPA funding goes through. The developer is offering 109 workforce lots that will be below what, what the developer could charge for market rate. The builder is offering capped square footage to guarantee smaller products to achieve workforce housing. So our goals are to respect the environment by providing that natural open space. We've got trails, uh, three active recreation areas. Um, and an increase of productive wetland area that will be managed by an HOA. This is a sketch uh, rendering actually using a surface that we have in CAD um, that shows the creeks as they run through our site. So this is off of a flown survey and that shows you that our wet pond is proposed at the top or which is really essentially the middle of our development the springs are located off to the side downstream. They drain into the middle tributary that runs through the center of the site. So I thought that might be helpful to you all in seeing you were asking at your last work session about how do those springs sit and where does the outflow come from the ponds. That's one of the springs that we have on the property. That's a picture of it. It's a beautiful little area. Our intent is to protect that. So this is the existing creek running through the property and it receives all of that drainage from town. And I wanted to show this picture because this is why this area needs detention and retention, which is the wet pond and the dry ponds. So for years, the farmers of this property have been throwing lots of things in there, trying to slow down the water. The velocities are very high. The water barrels through there. It erodes areas of the creek. This is not a pristine condition on this property currently. This is another view of where it has actually eroded away the, the dam, the farm pond dam that was there. Um, and you can see it undermining roots. So we, we intend to provide stormwater management to restore the natural creek function here. And um, I wanted to, to give you some of the benefits of our wet pond so we are doing three ponds. 
two water quantity ponds and one water quality pond. In addition to us meeting our regulatory requirements, um, we are also going above and beyond to assist the town in reducing some of the, the other problems that come from that flow. So a retention basin has pollutant reduction of phosphorus, um, typically better than other BMPs. I will also note we are building this on our property and taking care of all of our credits on site. We are not purchasing credits uh, for, the, for the pollutant reduction. Pollutant reduction of nitrogen, it provides uh, 50, per, it will provide 50% more pollutant removal than our development requires. Um, there is also, it's also known that researched that wet ponds um, can reduce E. coli by 75%, which is an issue in Tom's Creek Basin. Uh, we are providing uh, sediment loading removal in a forebay, and removing that sediment is one of the biggest benefits you can have to a creek. Um, and we're, it will also help reduce volume of stormwater. The two regional dry detention ponds that are pictured up here uh, will remove and trash debris that ends up in our tributaries, and, and we get a lot of trash from this, uh, from all of the upstream flows, trash, cones, things like that. Uh, it will reduce erosive velocities in, in the creek, reduce high rates of flow during small and large storm events that cause that erosion and unnatural shaping of the channels that we see on our site and downstream. Um, so there are additional benefits there that we plan to do, reduce the downstream flooding, and again, exceeding the requirements of our development. Uh, I wanted to, to show you, um, you know, Randy had great pictures. This is an example of what our street will look like when it is built. Um, we're requesting a 13.5% grade right now, but um, through design, you never know what kind of shifts may be needed. So we're asking for a variance for 15%, but we'll likely be somewhere between 12 and 15% with that. So this is the actual grade, what it looks like looking from Village Way South down. This is what it looks like from, I believe, 1225's backyard, Village Way South. So looking toward 460, that's what the slope will look like. This is looking up the road, give you an idea of what that slope will look like. Another view of interest, this is what the lots will look like that back up to Village Way South. And that's the property line at Village Way South and there is an existing, over most of it, existing buffer. Uh, Matt talked about our proffer changes, so I'm not gonna hang out there too long. Um, as I mentioned, we're in partnership with a builder who understands affordable housing and is willing to do what's needed, and that's, that's difficult to find. And I'm thankful to our builder partner for working through this process with the housing department. Um, and there's still a few things to work out in the developer's agreement, but in terms of our proffers, they've been solid about what they're willing to commit to. So in summary, um, this is a collaboration between a town builder and developer that's unique to provide much needed housing for all income ranges in Blacksburg, and it's an opportunity that should not be missed. Um, these don't come along very often. So we hope to be a community that sets a national example on how alliances between public and private can start to solve the affordable and critical workforce housing crisis. And with that, Thank I'll you. answer any questions you may have. Questions for the applicant? Mm -hmm. Go first. 
Well, I was just, okay. Uh, the two existing springs on site, the, the, the springs. Um, Can I go back to that? I was, is there any, you're not going to touch them. Are, is there going to be any, anything done to accent them, uh, protect them more? Any, you know, is, is, is your goal just not to leave them alone and not do anything? At this stage, I don't have anything that we've thought in particular about, but I imagine through design there's something that we could come up with that's interpretive related to the headwaters of Tom's Creek. But otherwise, just stay away from it. Yeah. Meredith, could you discuss the, um, the planting around the ponds? So perimeter planting, it was discussed in our sort of most recent um, staff report and so on. So the DEQ has requirements for in-pond and buffer plantings. Yeah. Um, those types of plantings are, you know, meant for pollutant removal, um, uptake of pollutants. In terms of our landscape plan, our plantings are going down off of the dam, outside of it. You can't can't plant trees on a dam right so our plantings are actually going down off of the dam we would have loved to be able to plant on the dam to provide some of that shading over the area but but you can't plant trees on a dam it's not, it's not safe for the dam the roots will damage it so we do have those trees at the base of the dam as part of our managed successional areas and um, we call them pond edge shade trees yeah. in the in the um, application. Does that answer your question? It sort of does. I, I guess I'm wondering like how much shading that they're expected to provide over the pond. Probably not too much. Yeah, okay. Yeah. They're located at the base of the dam, so we called them pond edge. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can you also address the, the rear access to the parcel next to um, the access street between Village Tom's Creek and uh, Glade Spring Crossing. So when we met with, I'm assuming it's one of the neighbors that are adjacent to the road. When we, like if you're staring at the person on the, like if you're looking down toward your development, right, the right, if you're on the right, at, yeah, yeah. Um, so when we were out there talking with those neighbors, um, I actually suggested that through the process, perhaps we could because there's their property sits here and the fill sits here, that it would be logical for us to assist if there was an easement. I mean, we'd have to get an easement to do that, but if there was an easement, that it would be logical for us to be able to assist and provide an entrance to that rear garage. Okay. So we're open to looking at that. Again, there's issues of, you know, distance to intersections and all those things, but, but while we're out there putting fill in, that would not be a significant expense for us. To do so if they're willing to give us an easement we'd be happy to go help work with them to do that we offered that when we were out there okay thank you i actually have a, a follow-up question to that um we got an, an email yesterday where a couple of the homeowners said that you had misrepresented the the state of negotiations where do those negotiations stand about receiving an easement there um nowhere at the moment Okay. We went out to talk to them and, and ask if they would be willing to give, and they preferred not to give us an answer at that time and wait and see what happened with the rezoning. Are you married to that connectivity piece there between the neighborhoods? Um, I think we've presented you some alternatives that we would be okay with. 
um, at your at your work sessions and I think moving forward there's been some curiosity about that with council and so we'll be willing to follow up with them on that but at this time what our proposal is is a connection Meredith can you um, help I'm wrestling with the really conflicting information regarding environmental impacts um, and I'm wondering if you have any insight as to why given what you just described and what you see as the positive impacts um, why is there such a range of interpretations of whether this will in fact have incredibly negative environmental impact whereas what you're describing is actually seeing it as environmental stewardship do you have any insight into where that range of informed opinion I can't is. speak for for what input you've been getting on that what I can say is that after being involved with this property for 20 years and seeing the way the water barrels down through it and the the health of the channels that I can't imagine how we couldn't help the situation over the last 20 years I've met with homeowners downstream over various um, proposals that we've had on the property and talked with them and heard what they've had to say about just a simple 10-year storm coming through, jumping its banks, almost flooding out garages. And um, in my years with the town, I heard it too. And so there has been a flooding issue downstream that requires quantity reduction. And I can say from being with the developer for 20 years on this property, <coughs> potential developer on this property, that there have been a whole lot of, of erosion activities, high velocities. <coughs> there were all kinds of things by the former owner thrown into those channels to slow down the water. There's trash, there's debris, there's all kinds of stuff washing over onto this property. And what we will provide in the, in the detention is a maintained area by homeowners association that's gonna remove all of that trash, debris, reduce the velocities, and be managed by an HOA, which is what's not happening right now. So all of that is getting washed downstream. All of the sediment loading is being washed downstream all of the pollutants that come off of the post office, Kroger, all of those roads, all of the development that was built before there was stormwater management is all running down through the property straight into the creek. We are taking that water, holding it back, detaining it, and then settling it out and treating it in a pond. And yes, there are some things that a wet pond isn't positively known for. One of those you've heard is temperature. Certainly temperature can rise in water that's sitting and exposed to the air and the heat. Um, we are trying to combat that by providing a design and the, and the DEQ requires a design where you pull from the bottom of the pond. Um, so I would suggest that water comes off really, really warm off of the pavement over at Kroger and maybe altogether there is a lessening of heat um, as it sits over time, but certainly when it's, it comes in at a temperature, there is some temperature it will stabilize at and when the sun hits it every day, that's gonna increase. Um, so there are some pros and cons um, to having that 
but in this case, um, we, you know, we, we have some wetlands we have to mitigate in order to put in these detention facilities. And those wetland areas were on your, on your screen there. I mean, those are considered wetlands, the, the jurisdictional waters, even though they're cut out, eroded, and they're, they're not in a good shape. Um, so I'm not an expert in water quality, but I do consider myself to be an expert in quantity, and I know that's been an issue in this area for a long time. Thank you. Um, connected to that, have you all talked about and or factored in the issues around expense to the HOA for being mindful of the environmental standards as well as the canopy um, getting an expert in every year? Is that, it strikes me that those are good things, but on the other hand, I was curious whether that sounds expensive to me. It's been priced out the cost of an individual to come in. Right. Um, but in terms of the overall expense of, of planting. Homeownership is really what I'm thinking. Like the, the expense of homeownership and keeping it at a level. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's the reason for why we're hoping to, to do this managed successional and why we've put together a good plan for that and have some checks and balances with the HOA so that it's not just left and ignored, that it is actively managed. And that comes at a cost, but the cost savings of not planting, there, there are a lot of costs that come along with planting trees up front as a capital cost. But then in addition to that, um, when, when trees have disease or when trees die off and having to replant them, as opposed to spending the money to eradicate the invasive species, which can be a lot more affordable. And we, we really do have to focus on that in this development. What are those future costs? Um, but we've tried to put in a few ways. I don't, to have someone's time for a day um, to come in and consult with your HOA and for the HOA to then, I think that the more expensive part will be following yes. those recommendations out, um, but certainly not as, as expensive as mulching, mowing, mulching around trees, mowing, weeding, all the things that typically go along with regular landscaping that's planted new. Ask another question. Um, in talking about the workforce housing, um, is there a price point on that? Is there a, a predicted range of costs of what that workforce housing price will be? Um, I'm going to ask my, my builder to come up and answer that, if he would. I think I know what he would say, but... <laughs> Good evening. My name is Josh Goldschmidt. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm the president of Eagle Construction. So when we think about it, particularly as we look back over the last 18 months, 18 months ago, two years ago, I would have given you a pretty solid answer. Today, I mean, this is the scariest part of what we've seen as far as volatility and pricing. What we're prepared to do as we move forward in the work sessions, and we've talked to Matt about this a little bit, because there's been some question about the energy modeling and those costs is, I apologize, we weren't prepared for it this evening. But for the next board work session, we're going to bring forward full costs of what we think the cost of these units are. And so the variability in that will be around if it's the unit we're selling you know, to somebody at 80% area median income, that cost will be that. 
and there'll be margin added to that. But yeah, though, okay. there should, you know, one of our goals as we work in mixed income and workforce housing is that there's not a differentiation between homeowner. You know, th this home, I mean, the unit that we sell that will be a model that is affordable will also have a market rate piece with it. You know, we do land trust work now with Maggie Walker in Richmond, and so we think it's one of the best models, and one of our objectives is really to help develop this land trust in this community, because we think it'll be one of the greatest assets the community has when it's up and running. So I don't, I'm not trying, you know, so w what do we think that market rate is? I mean, if I'm guessing today, in the mid threes, but I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not trying to be evasive, but land development costs over the last 12 months, 30% increase, and most of that's been in the, in the later part. I mean, so there's so many variables we don't know right now. Adequately answer. I have another question while you're up here. Um, so we know that the units that will go into the land trust will have a HERS rating of 55 or lower. Um, can you discuss any sort of energy efficiency um, or building performance improving aspects above and beyond code that you would anticipate being included in the other homes? And, and a follow-up question to that, in the market rate homes on um, the north side of the property, um, I'm wondering to what degree potential owners may have a say in um, the energy efficiency measures that get included. Will they be built entirely spec or um, is there a chance that, you know, owners would say, I want my house to be Earthcraft, and um, then they could pay extra for that? So we currently, in the state of everything we build, we get every house measured and certified. Mm -hmm. We don't use, currently use Earthcraft. We have in the past. We've been awarded Earthcraft Builder of the Year. Nathan sits on the Viridian board that oversees Earthcraft. So when it comes to the building sciences, we're very proud of that, and we take that very seriously. Our desire, as we think about the, you know, this mid-market mixed-income workforce, I mean, there's a lot of buzzwords around it, but we think about this as we are trying to manage what will be happening in three years around interest rate and everything else. So we use a lot of Renai tankless hot water heaters. We use spray foam off and on. We're currently building a home where we're using the R6 zip system. We use the Mitsubishi high efficiency. We're doing a geothermal. So we want the flexibility to use what we see fit when that time comes. I can't tell you what I know is going to be available three years from now with this land trust. I believe there'll be grants. You know, we're partnering with Dominion Energy in Richmond to work on solar. So my hope is that all these affordable units, somebody else out in the community, somebody provides a grant that gives us the ability to do solar, that gives us all that. But I'm, I don't know that today, and so it, that's why we're trying to get the project forward so it's viable. If you put too much on this, right, if you say everything's got to be at a certain certain rating, at some point this project won't be financially viable. And, you know, I don't sit here as the applicant. We have the opportunity to be the builder. We're very committed to do that if we can. And, you know, what I want to say about our relationship, particularly with Matt and the town, it's a partnership. I'm the one that screwed up that stuff that, I wasn't trying to change the offers, I was trying to work through that. And we have a real partnership 
that gives us confidence. The land trust people have been to us in Richmond. We've engaged another land trust so that we can bring this forward in real terms for customers and give them what they need. And we do that currently every day in Richmond. Um, so you just said something that made me think of another question, um, particularly regarding solar and the potential for green mortgages on particularly probably the ones not going into land trust, but green mortgages. Um, so the opportunity to roll your solar in with your your mortgage when you buy a home. And the anticipated rebates from the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. 45L. Huh? 45L. That's what the, that's what all the rebate is under in that Reduction Act. Yeah, very much trying to help with Pearl as a partner, we're trying to figure out exactly what that means currently. And all of the land trust buyers would be eligible for sort of the maximum rebate and tax credit in those scenarios. And I'm wondering if there is a way to take advantage of that, you know, as, as people buy their homes. Wonder that too, and okay, so yeah, our, our commitment. I mean, I'm okay. not, not, I don't want to get take up too much Sorry, time. Now. I put solar on my own house to figure it out because everybody can say whatever you want, but until you do it, so I'm in the process of figuring out 45L by April 15th. I'll be able to tell you is it 30%? Is it 35%? What does that do? How many, you know, what are you using? Like, what's the magic, right? What's the magic between this HVAC system, this much production of solar? You know, I don't think batteries are going to make sense for a while. Solar panels haven't changed that much over the last 20 years. I think battery technology is changing daily, it seems like. So we're not trying to avoid doing this. We're trying to understand it and make sure that we don't box ourselves and really box the customers in. Because the question I have is what's more important to the, to the customer? We think achieving the HERS rating, we'll be ready to prove it, is going to cost somewhere between ten dollars and $15,000. I can put a bathroom in that house for 7,500. Are we gonna add a bath for somebody? Are they gonna want laminate flooring? I mean, a little bit of this is where are the decisions that come, let the buyers make some of these choices. And, you know, again, I'll, I, we're, we're planning on providing full transparency around that. Our methodology to hit the HERS rating is not gonna be the only way, but we're currently doing a lot of studying around, I don't wanna to get too technical, but around the R6 zip system, which is the continuous thermal barrier. And what are the additional things we add to that in order to achieve the HERS ratings we're talking about? Mm -hmm. Any additional? Thank you guys again for the opportunity. Yeah. Done with you. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll now move on to public comment. Anyone who would like to address the commission on this particular public hearing, please come forward, state your name and address, and you will have three minutes to speak to us on issues associated with this public hearing. And it may just be helpful for people to know there's a little stoplight when you come up, and it starts green, then it turns yellow, then it turns red, and staff will be running that timer. And if people wouldn't mind when you're done, if you come, we have some signing sheets. We just need you to print your name. That's for the minutes. We like to get your name right in the minutes. So it's sitting right here with a pen. So you can do it like after you speak, if you just want to come this way. And you can do it now, but we're just thinking it might be more efficient. And people are focused when you 
get up if you want to say what you have to say, but when you're done, if you just pass by this sheet of paper, that would be super helpful. We appreciate it. Okay. Can do. So we're all, we don't need a break or anything. This is going to take a while. You'd want to like a, take a little pause or anything? We're just going to go. I, th I think we'll be all right. So some people might get up. It's, it's uh, by no means uh, out of lack of interest. It's out of other needs. Okay. So. Okay. That's fine. Okay, hi, I'm Guy Acey. I live at 1221 Village Way South, and I represent part of the Tom's Creek Sustainability Coalition, and we've talked here before. We welcome the opportunity to speak with you again, and we sincerely thank you and the staff for reading all our letters, some site visits, and listening to all our comments. So a little round of applause to Kinsey, Casey, and Anne. Thank you. Um, the last time we spoke with you, our focus was around illustrating the inappropriate high density of the proposal as it relates to the parcel's topography in the Tom's Creek watershed. We hope to demonstrate how that unsustainable, unsuitable density actually manifests itself in an exhaustive list of proposed variances that the developer is requesting. Our currently understanding is that the developer is requesting 16 variances all to mitigate the potential cost impact of the 24 affordable housing units. To my knowledge, no single proposed development to ever come before this commission has requested this large number of variances for a single project. This includes issues with road grading, landings, curbs, turnabouts, sidewalks, driveways, landscape trees, peewees, and the list goes on and on and on. Each variance is an allowed divergence from expected town standards, and the sum total of these deviations will have short and long-term ramifications around safety, environmental maintenance, and liability concerns. As previously noted, the applicant has clearly stated the bulk of these variances are being submitted to allow higher density to reduce the per-unit costs. Attempting to lower the developer's costs should not be the town's priorities, nor driving concern. And my compatriots that follow will speak in much more detail about these requested variances and their potential impacts and unsuitability. In a recent memo to the TCSC, our mayor, Leslie Hager-Smith, stated, we make our worst decisions when we carve out exceptions to sound planning principles by putting the preferences of one voluble contingent before the well-being of us all. And we couldn't agree more. Putting the needs of a single developer's financial needs before the future GSC and existing VATC community needs is a mistake. 16 variances show the volume of carve-out exceptions that this project requires to become even remotely feasible. Affordable housing is a commendable and laudable goal for Blacksburg, but the current GSC proposal is simply the wrong vehicle in terms of delivering affordable housing as it requires too many sacrifices to well-established town standards. Affordable housing can and should be built on this parcel, just not with this proposal. If I may borrow a phrase, remember these words. If the project can't comply, you must deny. Thanks for your time and attention, and next up in our group is Robin to speak about more of these details. Folks, my name is Robin Jones and I live at 1224 Village Way South. I come before you today to address variance uh, request to subdivision ordinance 5-310 cul-de-sacs. 
So the subdivision ordinance requires bulb cul-de-sacs to be provided at every dead-end street. The ordinance language permits an applicant to request a T or Y turnaround in lieu of a bulb cul-de-sac and provides minimum dimensions for such turnarounds. The applicant, however, has requested neither of these for Street D. Instead, the application calls for a branch turnaround. They have refused suggestions for alternatives for a cul-de-sac because it decreases density. Staff have identified that branch-type dead ends may result in inconveniences to residents living at the ends of the street, as drivers needing to turn around will likely use driveways, provided they are not occupied, to maneuver uh, because the street pavement width is too narrow. This also assumes no street parking is occurring. I would suggest that the problem is much greater than this. For residents and visitors, if they cannot turn around for the reasons mentioned above, they will have to back out of the branch. This is certainly less safe than moving in a forward motion. Residents aren't the only ones using these streets. How will fire and rescue vehicles access these homes and how will they turn around? How might a delivery truck, service vehicle, or moving truck access these homes and navigate this turnaround? How will waste management vehicles, um, will the arm of the waste management vehicle typically uses one side of the road to pick up even be able to access on the ends of these roads? The branch alternative compromises safety immensely, which is likely why the original ordinance was in place, allowing this variance to make the town liable for any resulting consequences. And speaking of these streets, just look at the map. How are waste management trucks going to navigate the overall density? Due to the requested driveway variances, residents or visitors will no doubt have to park on the street, thus creating a ripple effect of the general use of these roads. They will constantly be blocking driveways while weaving their way around parked cars just to empty receptacles. This issue will also be a concern for delivery, mail, and other vehicles as it will require them to extend their vehicles into the street causing line of sight safety hazards. And what about school buses? All children have to come from the ends of each of these extended streets to the main cut through road to get on the bus and in doing so use walkways that have been constructed with a variance while waiting on unsafe corners that have driveways too close to the intersection built through a variance on streets that are graded using another variance. These are basic services and variances add up. And in this case, it's not just a mere inconvenience. They are truly a compromise to safety and accessibility. The extraordinary and mounting number requested in this application just don't pass the reasonable person test. And they literally are a dangerous precedent. If 16 major variances are needed to actualize this development, it's just not the right development. Thank you. Hello again. My name is Ottilene Bushy. I live at 1222 Village Way South. I'm here tonight with my friends and neighbours to speak for the Toms Creek Sustainability Coalition regarding the proposed GSC project. While this project is attempting to provide several affordable homes, there are major issues with the overall design and its effect on the land and neighbourhoods surrounding it. The developer has asked for, as we've just heard, 16 variances, potential minor and major issues with this plan in order to allow for greater density on a challenging site. I know the town engineers have found examples to support the use of these variances, but nowhere is there a case of 16 variances being used in one development. Looking at the variances more closely, uh, the ones to do with driveways, in the town plan they were listed as 8 and 9 in the town application, but I'll just say 1 and 2. Um, the first variance asks for a reduction from three foot to zero foot feet of the distance from driveways to property lines for all sections. As attached units are 18 feet wide and driveways 18 feet wide to allow for two cars, the driveway will take up the whole front of the home. With four units together, you will have two middle units, a 
a 36 feet of asphalt potentially with no gutters, as was discussed in the council work session this morning. That will be 36 feet of potentially sloped driveway, in some cases greater than the 12% allowed by town code. The Planning Commission did suggest that the developer look at permeable driveways. This would mitigate runoff and other water-related problems which might arise from such a dense and hilly development. Have they done that? The two side units would have a stacked driveway of width 9 feet, according to developer plans. According to the town planning department, stacked driveways are supposed to be at least 10 feet wide. Is that not the case here? I would hope that the developer does not assign uh, the affordable units to these middle spaces in order to maximise their returns. Markets will price them lower. This would not be equitable. The second variance asks for a reduction of required distance of driveways to intersections from 50 feet to 20 feet on some lots. Quote, a 50-foot requirement will cause loss of multiple units that are critical for development mass and affordability. Quote, in other words, we want to maximise density and complying with town safety standards will make this impossible. Having driveways that, close to in that close to intersections in such a dense development will be a safety issue and will cause accidents. And has it even been discussed where 132 closely packed units will put their trash cans on trash day? Also, in relation to the second variance, Village Way South has not just one or two, but several homes out of compliance with the proposed new intersection. Thank you for letting me speak tonight. I hope you can see that we are earnestly fighting for not just best practice now, but better development in the future that is equitable for all concerned. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Rebecca Weaver Hightower and I live at 1207 Village Way South. I've met with almost all of you in person, thanks again for your time, to discuss the environmental impacts of this development as currently proposed. I explained the problems with the proposed dry and wet ponds, why, based on experts at Virginia Tech, they won't do what the developer claims they will, and why the development is too dense for that piece of land. And I'd also like to remind the developers that they own the land and have for, I think, 20-something years, so any danger, anything that's happened to the creek has happened on their watch. Look, I know you want more affordable housing. Um, we all do. I certainly do. But as I said during our last meeting, we shouldn't have to choose between having affordable housing and not ruining Tom's Creek. You, as planning commissioners, have been given the trust of protecting the town of Blacksburg, not just its people, but also its wildlife, including the trout in Tom's Creek, that which will not survive when the temperature of Tom's Creek rises even further, which it definitely will if this development proceeds as proposed. Imagine those beautiful views and then imagine them paved over, which is what it's, what it's going to be. Your tool to help the town make wise decisions are the zoning laws, which have been developed following the town's values and principles. <coughs> Allowing a proposal like this one to progress when the number of variances being sought clearly shows that the proposal does not meet the town's own guidelines would be violating that trust. Again, I urge you to vote no on this question of rezoning to let the developer know that he needs to play by the same rules as everyone else. Ask him to come back with a better plan, one that actually fits the density that this steeply sloped, environmentally delicate piece of land will actually support, not one that he wishes it would support and not one that requires an unprecedented number of variances from the town's own principles. We shouldn't try to shoehorn this development <clears throat> in where it doesn't fit. 
Um, we just were shown some pictures of um, other places in town where the zoning principles have been violated. And I realize that these were used as illustrations, but I, I, I want to make sure that we don't take those as precedents. Uh, let me urge you that just because there are unsafe and unsound elements elsewhere in town, you don't have to make those bad decisions here too. Finally, I'd like to address the issue of the PRD designation which is being requested. The planned residential district, according to the Town Zoning Ordinance Division 11, Section 3114, is to be used, quote, provided the action generally shall provide meaningful benefits such as reduced erosion, protection of the health and safety of forested areas, or preservation of scenic views. The PRD request in this development, however, would increase erosion, endanger forested areas, and eliminate scenic views, the opposite of what the ordinance says PRDs are for. The PRD designation in this case is only meant to save money, and according to the developer, the only way affordable housing can be included. I say bull hockey. We can figure out a way to build affordable housing that we can feel good about, not that we have to apologize for. Okay, and I have an illustration to hand you for the next speaker. Uh, my name is Marcus Weaver Hightower, and I'm also a resident of 1207 Village Way South, uh, where we've lived for three years now. Uh, I'm also opposed to this development plan for a range of reasons, uh, most of which have already been addressed tonight by others. I'm going to use my time to provide some visuals to bolster the argument that most of the variances should be. The first image on the handout you have is to scale and shows a density comparison. The proposed Glade Springs development is here compared to other neighborhoods and surrounding areas. To the left, left is Westover Hills, an RR4 community. To the top is Village at Tom's Creek, which is effectively an RR2 community. Glade Springs is concentrating density and only leaving the floodplain as a significant open space, which is not usable for recreation. The south section of approximately 15 acres is essentially building at 8 to 10 homes per acre which is far too dense for this environmentally fragile site to support. The second image provides a comparison of wooded areas. This drawing shows the south side of the proposed development overlaid on an aerial photograph of the site. The area in the right lower corner is now the farm development. Uh, the image highlights in the bold green lines the woods that will be removed, which is approximately four and a half acres of existing hardwood that stabilizes the slopes, provides buffering, minimizes stormwater runoff, and provides shade and cooling. The new proposal removes all of these mature trees in favor of an inadequate landscaping plan. It would reduce street trees from one per 30 feet to one per 100 feet, three times the space between, and instead plants only a fraction of the required tree canopy, leaving the rest to the HOA to supplant the developer's responsibilities. <laughs> not ecologically sound to remove the wooded area on over 10% of the site and replace it with 35 lots with minimal landscaping. The third image that you have shows uh, how challenging the topography of the site is. Uh, increasing the density of homes on the land makes the grade changes even more dif difficult. Uh, you can see that on each of those, the, the little gray lines represents one foot of grade change 
uh, elevation change. Uh, I have many times watched uh, sheep careening down these hills. Uh, I can scarcely imagine someone in a wheelchair or a child on a tricycle traversing this safely at those slopes. Clustering the houses together with no driveways on this slope will create significant traffic safety issues as well. Uh, you were shown some uh, pictures earlier of the kinds of grades that were there, but none of those photographs you will notice showed eight to 10 houses trying to back out into the street on those kinds of grades. I mean, imagine yourself in the Kroger parking lot on a 12 uh, degree slope, not being able to see because of the car behind you to back out into the street. Uh, the commission should consider the safety of residents there as, as one of the primary reasons that many of these variants should be denied. My name is Vicki Fix and I live at 1301 Village Way South. The Blacksburg Comprehensive Plan indicates that the town should maintain or increase its 30.2% tree canopy coverage. To help accomplish this, the Blacksburg Municipal Code requires one street tree for every 30 feet. Blade Spring Crossing asks for a variance from this requirement. Their proffers promise only one street tree for every 80 feet in the north part and one street tree for every 100 feet in the south part. The recent presentation to the Planning Commission and Town Council about small lots showed streets with small lots that had very pleasant front yards and plenty of trees. GSC homeowners will instead have a few trees in a sea of pavement. Why should these homeowners have front yards full of pavement just because this is a neighborhood with affordable housing? I urge you to deny the GSC street tree variance request. The homes in the north area can easily meet the municipal code. Less density in the south area would allow for parking alongside the homes and trees and shrubs in front of the, the buildings. The developers showed a picture of an area at village at Tom's Creek with what they called managed succession landscaping. The area they showed is near the stream that flows through the village and the soil there is, was likely never disturbed during the construction phase. The area in GSC and the Creek Valley overlay could probably look the same after a few years. However, for the area of GSC not in the Creek Valley overlay, only a small area of existing woodlands will remain. The rest of the area will be bulldozed to level the area in preparation for home building. This will disturb and compact the soil. Compacted soil requires a minimum of 10 years to recover. Invasives thrive on compacted soil. GSC is promising to plant two trees every quarter acre in the managed succession areas. I think they will end up with the two trees and lots of invasives and the homeowners will be left with a mess. If you want to see an example of this, come look at the dry pond behind our house. The area was bulldozed to create the pond and now it is full of autumn olives and other invasives. Nothing like the stream area of the VATC or in VATC that the developer showed you. GSC is planning managed succession as a new way to handle open space areas. Planning commission members should suggest a new way to make sure the homeowners are not left with a mess. 
if the developer wants these bulldozed areas to have a chance of becoming something beautiful, they need to plant more native perennials, shrubs, and trees to get these areas off to a good start. Thank you for your time. Hello, my name is Mike Stein and I live at 1225 Village Way South. I live directly next to the proposed access road between Glade Spring Crossing and Village Way South. The talk of negotiations between the applicant and 1301 and 1225 has not happened. I believe you were told it has. I'd like to confirm there has never been any type of negotiation between the parties. Mr. Randy showed you multiple pictures of steep streets all of which were wider, had curbs or sidewalks or bike lanes. Just because there are streets that break the rules doesn't give permission to break the rules again. I can speak directly to Walnut Drive. It is not similar to the proposed road. It's one of the pictures he showed you up on the screen. Walnut Drive is 32 feet, <coughs> over 32 feet wide. It has curbs and a sidewalk. The proposed road, at least, one version that I've seen is 19 feet wide. That's a giant difference. These two roads are very dissimilar. The easement is too narrow to build a proper road with two code with curbs and with sidewalks. This easement is clearly not meant to be a through road. If the connector road is built, the new intersection will violate the town ordinance requiring driveways and intersections to be 50 feet apart. Mr. Watson talked about this, thank you. Four driveways will be within 50 feet, one of which will be two feet or less from the intersection. The applicant has not requested a variance for this intersection. Town ordinance requires 50 feet and the creation of the connector road violates that ordinance. Why is this intersection not considered important? This has to be considered as it directly affects the safety of Village Way South residents. Why is the home on Glade Road, close to the GSC entrance, considered as important, but the homes in Village Way South are not? Both roads are 25 miles an hour. <coughs> Both have very close driveways to the entrance. I will not be allowing the use of my property to build a road that is <coughs> unsafe and not to code. That is not an option. My kids and other kids in my neighborhood are often riding bikes and playing outside in the street. Our neighborhood is a front porch community. It is designed to encourage us to congregate out front of our homes. We truly live in a village. We hang out outside, kids playing all the time, dogs running around, it's amazing. Please do what's right and keep residents safe in Blacksburg. Thank you for your time. My name is Dean Spader. I live at 1301 Village Way South, across the, the right-of-way from uh, my son-in-law and daughter and grandchildren, uh, Steins. I have submitted over 10 pages and three written prior statements pertaining to the connecting street in this proposal. The theme of all three is the irony that the village at Tom's Creek is offered as a model neighborhood but a decision to build a connecting street will severely damage the village 
in many, many ways. Tonight, I wish to address my personal interests threatened by this street intersection at Village Way North or Village Way South. First, the town ordinance, as you have stated, states, driveways shall be no closer than 50 feet to an intersection with a public street. If this connecting street is built, there will be zero. Using the map on the GIS and a map provided by Ms. Jones to us, two maps in fact, between my driveway and the intersection. In fact, the curb of the right-of-way extends past my driveway border. In effect, we will be backing out of our driveway into the edge of a busy intersection. We won't even get the 20-foot minimum variance that you're giving to the GSC uh, homes. Uh, and our neighbor ha neighborhood has a 25 mile per hour speed. This planning commission approved the driveway in 2010, knowing the location of this right of way. In all fairness, the town should follow its own ordinance and not build this intersection within 20 feet, at the minimum, of our driveway. This ex post facto construction clearly violates your own ordinance and grossly violates every sense of fairness. Second, if this street is built to code, this PC will prove a street eight feet higher than my backyard. It will be a mound of dirt the size of a battleship between our house and our children's house on the other side of the right-of-way. In ice storms and snowstorms, vehicles could slide down its steep slopes into our backyards. No one has contacted us to negotiate a safety wall nor a retaining wall on the right-of-way. Instead, the town wants the wall built on our property. My homeowner's insurance would not cover any decision of mine to build such a wall on my property for this purpose. No reasonable person and no insurance company would agree to expose themselves to enormous liabilities of such a wall because of numerous accidents caused by cars sliding off that high street into the wall will result in lawsuits for negligent design, negligent construction, and negligent maintenance, and likely all three. Thank you for your time. Just went by the signing. Good evening. My name is Lucy Touchton, and I also live on Village Way South. I spoke at last month's meeting of my concerns and today I would like to reiterate that I remain against the rezoning. The proposed density of Glade Spring Crossing and specifically the connection to the village at Tom's Creek will not keep our residents in both neighborhoods safe. The town's own code of ordinances speaks directly against several of the variances the developer is asking for and I'm worried about the impact on safety for all of us. One example is section 5403, the sidewalk variance, which states that a variance may only be granted if an acceptable alternate internal asphalt walkway system is provided or proposed as part of the subdivision. This is not the case with this proposal. Neither, neither the northern part of Glade Spring Crossing nor the connection to Village Way South have sidewalks that would make this variance safe. Village Way South has no <coughs> sidewalks. We have small front yards close to the street, and cars often park along the street, narrowing it further. Also, our neighborhood, as others have said, really is a village, with children playing, 
people walking their dogs, neighbors meeting and chatting, all right on the street. The proposed connection of the two neighborhoods will make it a through street, and the traffic study showed a significant increase in traffic. Whereas currently only residents drive on our street, who know to slow down and be mindful, we will now get people who don't know the neighborhood, who will take full advantage of the 25 miles per hour speed limit, and who will not pay attention to pedestrians the way residents would. It would inevitably lead to an increase in accidents and deaths. I have the same concern for the residents in the new neighborhood who will also not have sidewalks in the northern section. On top of that, due to the proposed density of the development, the topography of the area and the variances requested, cars may not see a child walking or biking. Another red flag is the intersection that will connect the two <coughs> neighborhoods. That right-of-way was established when the zoning was and currently still is RR1, meaning 44 housing units. Now the developer is asking for the flexibility to build four times as many units. This increase in units plus the increase in traffic plus all the variances that the developer is asking for will make this intersection dangerous. There's no landing, no visibility into the intersection, and there are no sidewalks. Add ice or even just rain to the equation and it's a recipe for disaster. Do not force this connection under these circumstances. The most reasonable alternative is to make it a connection for pedestrians and bikes only with emergency access for cars. You achieve connectivity without the safety hazards. But under the proposed circumstances, <clears throat> the connection is not safe, so I ask you to vote no for rezoning this property. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Lisa Acey and I live at 1221 Village Way South. Um, I'd like to take a few minutes to discuss parking in the applicant's proposal, or more accurately, the lack thereof. With 134 homes only having two parking spots and no garages, the development will have an increase in on-street parking on roads that already have a limited capacity and sit on significant grades and have a lack of spaces to even turn around, let alone park. The applicant is requesting to reduce the setback from the edge of the driveway to the property line from three feet to zero. They're also requesting driveway parking spaces be allowed to back directly onto the street. This currently isn't allowed by town codes for obvious, safety, obvious safety concerns. Given two adjacent 18 foot wide driveways that are 20 feet in length, portions of the road will look like parking lots with only a roll top curb separating the parking spaces from the street with cars butting to the very end of the driveway. At an earlier planning commission meeting, this was referred to as a sea of asphalt and little has changed to negate that description. Lines of sight even or even dog walking will be problematic given the number of driveways abutting the street. Off street parking is a standard in Blacksburg for the reason of safety and quality of life. And this proposal seems to minimize if not ignore both of those rationale. The developer's initial application states, guest parking will be provided in limited segments of the roadways. Looking at some of the proposed street maps, my simple question is, where? There are few, if any, streets on the southern end that don't sit in front of another dwelling. When friends or family come to visit or a family has a third car for a teen, is that car going to sit in front of someone else's home? How will deliveries work on sloped streets with numerous cars parked utilizing on-street parking? Will the occasional moving van, school bus, or garbage truck bring traffic flow to a halt? 
The variances requested for the project seem to be to increase density in an attempt to drive down per unit cost, with many of these requests negatively affecting the environmental safety and quality of life aspects. Bottom line, the current proposal is simply wrong for this parcel, so we ask that you please vote no to rezone. Thank you for your time. Casey Hodges and I live at 1223 Village Way South. After two decades of home ownership in the village, I wanted to share with you some lessons I've learned on some of the variances that have been proposed in the village. One is the request for the elimination of curb and gutter along sections of the streets. This has happened in the village at Tom's Creek and it doesn't work. The pictures that I have provided you show some examples of roadside damage created because of lack of curbing, curbing people driving off the edges of the road, sediment deposits along the edges of the road, ditches that have filled in, reducing the effectiveness and capacity of the conveyance way, driveway culverts that are failing. While the expectation for the initial ditch design for a development is low retention time and the potential for infiltration, long term, these solutions do not work. As you know, it is the town's responsibility to make sure that once the drainage leaves the property, it is taken off of the streets and the streets are passable and safe. <coughs> Urban gutter is the way to do this. It is a long life cycle. It is maintained by the public works department and is the best way to control stormwater leaving the right of way. The village at Tom's Creek has a drainage problem. We have roads that flood. We have, personally, we have just removed our deck because the post that it sits on was eroded due to stormwater runoff coming down the slope from a street that had no curbing gutter. We have to replace it. We have tree roots in our backyards that are exposed, again, due to the impacts over time of that runoff coming through our property uncontrolled. The lack of curbing and stormwater infrastructure is one of the biggest drawbacks to this community. Unfortunately, homeowners have no incentive or appropriate tools for long-term maintenance of roadside ditches, and the town of Blacksburg Public Works does not maintain roadside ditches in residential neighborhoods. There is a reason why the ordinance asks for curbing gutter, CG6, not the roll top curve, to be provided in all of the neighborhoods. It is the safest way to maintain and to protect the infrastructure of the town. I'm asking you to please think about the number of variances and the hardship that's being created by the parameter of the applicant's proposal. It's a request. Many of the requests and the variances are made solely for the economic benefit of the applicant. The applicant makes it a point to discuss how much money some of the variances will save them but no impact on the long-term maintenance and headache for the proposed homeowners and for the HOA. Lots of these variances don't work well in other places, especially when they're coupled with 15 other variances. I strongly urge you to uphold the standards of this commission and the standards in the subdivision ordinance and deny their request. Thank you very much for your time.
Hello, my name is Chris Bunger and I live at 1219 Village Way South. I would like to share some of our concerns with the public utility easement variance request of the standard 15 feet to seven and a half feet along the perimeter, some perimeters, lots, interior and exterior to the property. It's my understanding that the easement is put in place to allow proper distance between utility lines and to access and repair if problems arise. By reducing this allotted space, utility operators will have to maneuver heavy equipment in tight spaces and quarters. This will impact the safety of the operator and the surrounding properties when large backhoes and trucks have to be um, navigate that small area. For example, the step septic systems used along Village Way South currently are already known to have issues in frequent maintenance requirements. Vegetation must be removed on a regular basis by the town for heavy machinery such as vacuum trucks to access. The current easement already restricts access with time-consuming um, manual labor having to be done to remove that vegetation. Additional utilities will only further crowd that access, so the minimum 15 feet should be um, enforced. The developer uses the excuse that some lots would be lost because of unable to conform. Why should the town have to bear the responsibility and the liability because the developer wants to put more houses on the property? And what about the unfortunate homeowners who expect the builder to provide adequate easement but to find out later that their property will be impacted because not enough PUE was allotted? Also, the developer has offered no buffer between the north end and the village way south. That along with the reduced easement will further encroach the few vulnerable old trees that remain and this will cause root structure and failure and then eventually property damage. This will fall on both the Village Way South residents and the Glade Springs residents later to pay down the road. The current easement behind Village Way South is already known to be inadequate for heavy machinery, sometimes having to be placed on personal property to allow access to these step systems. Equipment has run through yards to resolve these issues and this can result in damage to the property, which puts more undue burden on the homeowners. Easements are defined for a reason. As protectors of the town and its citizens, please do not recommend proposed change in the zoning. Thank you for your time and consideration. Good evening. My name is David Salee. I live at 1209 Village Way South. I'd ask you a similar question to what I asked last time, so I ask you to please excuse me. So I think the affordable housing component of this is the critical feature that you're considering in your decision. So my question becomes is, is this achievable with the complexity of this situation on this lot? And so I repeat the question about timeline because you've got the development and the build team here and they may choose to address that with you. So. With the ARPA funding, my understanding is, is that it has to be allocated by December 2023 and you have to have spent it by December 2026. I believe that's correct. So is it possible for this situation to be developed and have those units completed so that they can receive the funding? And if that's not the case, is the funding gonna be offered before the development is completed? In which case, what is the incentive for the development build team to do this in a timely manner? So I ask you to consider, what is the timeline for the development? How will it progress? And I do understand that's not a typical feature that you would see in a zoning appeal. But this is not a typical zoning appeal. This is a special zoning appeal on a critical piece of property in the center of Blacksburg that won't come again. 
And so how will this be progressed? How can you be sure that the millions of dollars that you're investing, you will receive what you are supposed to receive for that funding? And the builder, due in no fault of his own, has said that he has no way of determining what cost factors they'll be and, and what kind of timelines they'll face, supply chain issues. Is this the appropriate place for the investment of these ARPA funds into the community at this critical juncture? And can you be sure of timing? And so I ask you to consider asking the question, can you address when this will be developed and how it will be supplied to you for the community's investment? Thanks for your time. I'm Eric DeStuller, 1249 Redwood Road in the village at Tom's Creek. Um, I want to start by saying I oppose this rezoning for, well, many reasons already been mentioned, but uh, the builder is simply trying to build way too many units in a small area. Um, as people have pointed out, the, the large number of variances requested kind of indicate already that they're trying to cram too many units into a small area. Um, the, one of the variances asked for more parking, uh, Houses, I think we're looking at at least two cars per unit, so that's 360 cars at least. To get out of the neighborhood, there's only two roads, and so a large number of these cars will come through the village way south that's really not built or sized for that kind of traffic. Uh, I think the exit through village way south is also the closest to uh, 460, so when people kind of go shopping or there, I think a very large amount of traffic will go through those roads, will create a huge burden um, for these people. Another uh, uh, issue that's not well addressed is the runoff and storm drainage, which has already been mentioned. Um, I think this is simply not the right development for that area, and I, I hope you will turn down this request for rezoning. Thank you. I press the feed button. Oh, I got it. Oh, okay. Um, I'm Peter Lazar. I don't live in the village of Tom's Creek. Um, I live at Shadow Lake Village um, off of Shadow Lake Drive. And so I have a, maybe a little bit of a different perspective because um, my family's not directly impacted by this. Um, my other perspective is that um, I'm also a developer and I actually um, developed Emerson Commons, which is the, um, a co-housing community in Arbemarle County near Charlottesville. It's actually the first all-solar all community in the state of Virginia. And I also was the developer consultant for rezoning um, uh, uh, Juniper Hill Commons um, co-housing in Harrisonburg, uh, Virginia. So, um, um, so anyway, I came to this partly thinking of um, as seeing this as kind of a missed opportunity and problematic. And, and the first part was it's kind of ironic that the name of the neighborhood is about the thing that's being dis, dis, uh, destroyed, the Glade Spring. It's a, it's a beautiful spring. Um, you know, it's useful for more than just, you know, even if there aren't fish in there, there's, um, there, there are, but uh, um, there are all, all, you know, all kinds of uh, wonderful wildlife that could be damaged by the heating up of that retention pond. Um, uh, but I think part of the thing that I thought, thought about was really the fairness aspect of it, and I haven't brought, um, I haven't heard so far today um, that, uh, you know, and also the, lo the loss of opportunity, opportunity here. Um, I'm already a minute and a half. Um, that 
the developers talking about how uh, you know it's a gift, almost a gift, to bring in this workforce housing. But really, so much of this has been um, because of the grant money that's come in. Um, and I think that uh, you can probably ask for a lot more um, right now, a lot more in proffers. Um, there's so many exceptions here. Uh, to get Shadow Lake Village um, approved and other communities I was involved in, um, we had one or no variances. Um, and there are so many variances here. Uh, walkability, um, is this really a place that you want to, to you know, you would want to live, um, uh, you know, without, with, with a ditch on the side of the road as opposed to uh, a, a sidewalk and, and curb? Um, you know, the houses themselves, are they, and the, the amount of asphalt in front? Um, it, th these are, I think these are all questions to be asked, and I think that uh, this $2 million that's coming into this could potentially bring the, you know, allow some more great things to be brought into the, to the development to, to make it a more beautiful kind of livable space. Um, so I think, I mean, some important things that could be done um, are, you know, get, get more trees in there, um, remove the connection with Tom's Creek. That's also, also, also going to create a kind of um, traffic situation of cars coming through there to get through Kroger and adding to pressure on Glade Road. Um, maybe think, you know, talk about solar um, and houses oriented towards solar. Of course, that's, that's, that's more of a, a builder than a developer um, uh, issue. But uh, anyway, my thoughts are it's kind of a an lost opportunity um, if we go with it as it is right now. There's so many different variances. And I think that they, I, I would guess that there's room for in the budget to to do something great as well, to make it a livable place where, where uh, you know, every, where the residents want to live, and I think workforce people as well are um, owed a, a nice place to live, to raise their children safely, you know, where they don't get hit by cars going over 50 miles per hour. Thanks. Hi there. Tracy Sterling, 1211 Village Way South. I stand before you with mixed emotions. There's a part of me that is grateful to live in a town that values partnerships in order to build better communities. And then there's a part of me that believes some partnerships are more self-serving of personal agendas rather than providing for the greater good. I'm not sure how to interpret the three-year partnership between the town of Blacksburg and Glade Springs Crossing. On one hand, I relish the thought of these entities creating from the ground up, literally, a mixed income neighborhood that serves the broad needs of many hardworking families who elevate Blacksburg simply because they're a part of the community. Then there's the part of the process that feels a little less pure. For example, the need to push for a connector road without the necessary safety measures in place, the expectation to cut corners rather than to build to compliance as such sidewalks, curbs, gutters, cul-de-sacs, etc. The lack of implementing best practices and accepting the minimum measurements when considering long-term stressors on a precious resource such as Tom's Creek. Not to mention, how is it that the town of Blacksburg, who's been working in partnership with the applicant for three years, is legally able to vote on their own project? Some folks have called this a legacy build. With 24 affordable homes, both the mayor and developer have reasons to feel content. 
but other than the number 24, we still don't know much about these homes. Will they be granted adequate square footage or relegated to the smallest footprint? Will they have a front yard that includes grass or only a driveway? Will they be placed in a premium location or resigned to a corner unit of a strange cul-de-sac? Bottom line, will these families be granted fair and equitable living spaces? I'm not so confident. I'd like to acknowledge another partnership in this process, a not-so-silent partnership, if you will. Though we haven't been involved for three years, it's the people sitting in front of you this evening. They are everyday citizens. They have full-time jobs, ailing parents, young kids with activities. Yet they invest their time. Time to organize, research, understand, and actively participate in this process. Tonight, they can also revel in their own legacy, the privileged legacy of community engagement. My name is Bill Naki. I live at 1804 Honeysuckle, so I don't live on Village Way South. Um, I'm also a civil engineer by training. I'm going to draw upon that a few times in my comments here. And I do have some prepared comments, but I have to tell you, in the last day and a half, I spent a tremendous amount of time thinking about the fact that 20 plus years ago, our village was in the same spot. And one of the things that's really frustrating to me as a civil engineer is to think when that was planned out, who in the world thought that a road of 15% grade is a good way to connect these two things? I can't get my head around that. I mean, I'm sorry. So that's the off script part, but I just had to say it. It's <laughs> boiling up inside me. That's just crazy. And I also want to talk about the traffic study aspects. So I have some familiarity with this, and one of my concerns is that these are modeling exercises, and they're still a function of the assumptions that you put into them, the input to give them, to yield to the output. And one of the things that I think is frustrating is to read in the description of that about the number of people in our neighborhood who take advantage of this connectivity. Um, that's there, but we didn't ask for the connectivity and the safety risks that come along with it. And I, th I think the safety risks there are not being fully stated in the sense that, and Jerry, I really appreciate when you came out a week ago, but we were standing there, and one of the things that I don't think is realized is that traffic comes down Village Way South in a one-directional manner. And so the people who are coming into the neighborhood and who live on the side that's adjacent, they have to come down Village Way South, come through that intersection, and go the other direction. While there's traffic coming on them head on, good luck. Right? Again, I have to wonder about who thought that connectivity was a good idea. I'm concerned about the future growth on Tom's Creek as well, which I'm not sure how you deal with all of that in the traffic study. There's a, a property, I don't know what its status is I, with you all, next to Brookfield Village, 100 or so homes. We have the Allen property next to us, which is bigger than us. Uh, on down Tom's Creek further, you've got a for sale sign for 400 and something acres. 
who knows what that becomes. All of that traffic is coming up through Thomas Creek, and it necks down between 460 and the stoplight. And for those of us who live out here, prior to the past year, at the end of the day, that's gridlock. People trying to turn across and come off the highway and the like. The town fired in what I would call an interim solution to that in the past year by putting in a two-car left-turn lane there, which has aided that a lot. But that goes away in August when that five-story apartment complex coming in off of that is now in play. That's going to be gridlocked back there again. And my concern is that as these other areas build out, the cut through through Village Way or through the village into Glacier becomes part of the town's traffic network. It's not designed for that level of carrying capacity. Um, I'm really concerned long-term. Could you please wrap up? Yes. Thank you. Uh, two quick comments then. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I just laugh when, when people tell me we're going to put in a 15-mile-an-hour speed zone to control this issue coming down to 15% slope. And then I don't know if we're allowed to ask a question, but there was a comment made about construction would be limited on Village Way South. I'd like to know how that's going to happen during construction because those of us who have been in the village watching it build out, that's a big issue of all of construction. So how exactly would construction vehicles be limited on Village Way South during construction? Is it? Hello. You don't have to. You actually won't need that. It's the little thing that sits on the... Uh, good evening. Good I'm evening. Manish Thakkar, and I live at 1305 Village Way South. Now I'll start with uh, a dialogue from a very old movie, maybe when I was a child. Uh, it was from Wall Street. Gordon Gekko, Michael Douglas. I don't have his baritone, but he said something like, greed is good. I would say progress is good because Progress is growth, and growth is life. But I don't think any generation, any civilization, or any population in any country on the planet would agree for a trade that involves putting their own children's security, safety, and thriving at stake in return for a promised hypothetical development. I, I don't think that's a trade anybody would take. And that is what exactly we are being told we should take in the name of we saw those promises. I, I think that should be a better plan. That interconnectivity between these two neighbor, uh, neighborhood is forced then. Of course, I live there, so my child and everybody else that I'm concerned of. But I'm also concerned about my future neighbors. They would be living in that neighborhood which, according to the proposal, even has lesser parking spaces, and they have themselves requested waiving of those proper driveways, intersections, etc., etc. So the kids who have not even stepped into that neighborhood yet, we have already endangered them because they do not have a voice. Because those neighbors obviously cannot come here and talk in hypothesis that okay, in past this has happened. Please be considerate of that as well. Secondly, I would like to say that most people on the planet 
living, no matter in whichever country they are living, are in a certain manner envious of the way of life America provides to its citizens. What is our way of life? That's our lifestyle, how we live. And how we live is determined by the very neighborhoods we live in. What are the standards that we are seeing here? We are seeing request after request that this standard should be omitted, this standard should be dropped, or it should be relaxed. If you think about this, these standards make whatever neighborhoods are safe and serene places where we become envy of the world. That, wow, look how Americans are living. We have to really think twice. It is not simple. I mean, we can say that in the name of progress, once in a while, you have to remove one brick from the structure, one brick there. Yeah, removing a couple of bricks here and there will not make anything fall down. But brick by brick, you can bring down even the strongest, biggest castle in the world. Standard by standard, we can end up into a junkyard, and I can label it neighborhood. So please think about that. Don't let the standards be so light that we can ignore them or omit them. They are there for a reason. And I hope. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying listening to you talk, but you got to wrap it up. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks for your time. That's all the points I wanted to make. I hope God continues bless, continues blessing our neighborhoods and continues to bless America. Thank you. is Bob Fryman and I live at 2501 Tom's Creek Road. You know, some months ago, Mr. Lucas brought up development very similar to this one in many ways. And I spoke against it because he initially proposed 30%. But eventually it was approved at 50%, correct? Each new development in the basin sets the precedent for the next. Across the street from our place is a sign that advertises 497 acres. If you allow 35% open space to be allowed in the basin, you will set the table for the next developer to push hard against the 50% open space requirement that was developed in the visioning process in the rezoning between R11 to the RR1. Whoever buys that 497 acres will push hard against the 50% open space requirement. I urge you, if you abandon the 50% open space, you basically abandon the vision for the Tom's Creek Basin. Please. 50% open space for this development. Thank you. Thank you. Bob, if you mind coming over to, I know. I'm incredibly annoying, but effective. No. <laughs>
Any additional speakers? Find someone. <laughs> Bring them on. <laughs> that sounds good. All right, hearing none, uh, we have an opportunity for applicant rebuttal. Okay, great. We have a motion and discussion. I will warn you, motion is potentially quite lengthy. <laughs> okay, Mr. Chairman, um, I move to recommend approval of Ordinance 700 or 2007 rezoning 22004 Glade Spring Crossing, a request to rezone approximately 45 acres from rural RR1 to PR in the 1,000 block of Glade Road by Carrie Hopper of Glade Spring Crossing. Um, with the following variances and modifications as requested, um, and that is numbers 4231B6, 4231B14, 4241A2, uh, 5202C, um, 5424A, 5-3-0-3, 5-3-1-0, 5-3-1-3-1, 5-3-1-3-2, 5-3-1-3-3, 5-3-1-7-1, 5-3-1-8-C, 5318D, 5401A, 5401A for the second time, 5401B, 54012C, and 5901. Um, I'd just like to say that I think you mis misread um, uh -oh. the fifth one. It was, it's 5428, not 4. Okay, thank you. Um, and, okay, so as, as Mr. Ford stated, instead of 5424A, it's 5428A. Ms. Jones, if, if that's your motion, um, if it's what I think it is, this piece of paper, would you just sign it at the bottom and at the end of the meeting give it to um, Casey? Yes. We have a second. I will second the motion. Let the discussion begin. And I would encourage people, when you present your discussion tonight, please do not conclude your, your comments with, and this is why I am voting or not voting for the resolution. Just state your comments, your observations, and let the voting occur during the voting. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> I'll start because I may lose my voice at any time. Um, there's a lot of pros and cons to this proposal. So for me, some of the positives, I mean, I'll start right from the beginning. The applicant actually went through the comp plan future land use amendment process, which is which occurs, you know, way in front of any uh, rezoning. That seldom happens, but in an ideal world, that's the way the process is supposed to work. It gives uh, the community two opportunities 
to have a conversation about the future of, of the, the property. So um, to me, that's a big plus. We don't see that very often. Um, flowing from that, I was, I was very anxious to see the application come in because I wanted to, I was sincerely hoping that the density that was going to be proposed in the application matched what the future land use was that they had asked to change. And it did, so that was, that was good to see as well. Um, <clears throat> I like the affordable housing component. Um, I also like the idea of building these smaller homes and smaller lots, the market rate ones, but still, because they're smaller lots and smaller, smaller homes, hopefully there'll be a smaller price, and so that, that helps address some of that missing middle that we have in the town. Um, a big one to me that's important is actually the stormwater management being proposed. Uh, I think in, in my memory of doing this for since 2016, this is probably the first proposal we've received where um, the applicants are able to, to meet the uh, quality requirement, basically treat the water to deal with the pollutants, but do it 100% on site. Uh, too often, most of the time, people get to 50% and then they have to buy the credits um, elsewhere, so, so that's very encouraging. Um, the cons uh, for this proposal to me uh, is the connectivity issue um, <clears throat> and the impact on the uh, neighborhood. And as stated by a lot of the speakers tonight, um, just the sheer number of variances. Um, <clears throat> most PRDs, we, we do see variances. Uh, um, um, I do, though, appreciate that the applicant has tried in their application to put numbers on, you know, I mean, they're up front, we're trying to save this money, but this money, you know, the reason we're saving it is to help with the affordable other component. So I do appreciate that transparency. Um, I'm not very pleased with the sidewalks, uh, completely lacking in the uh, north side. Um, and as far as protecting the uh, existing waterways, um, one thing I, that I think would help a long way with is um, additional riparian buffers and things that, that um, are done to protect and promote what exists there. Um, and, and that would be a, so, so those are my pros and cons for this one. Um, so I've spent, I don't know, the past, most of the past 48 hours really trying to take a step back and, and think about this um, outside of the details um, and the weeds. I, we have spent so much time working as a planning commission with the developer um, to try to address as many issues as possible and make as many improvements to this as possible. And you know, I thank the folks that are here tonight for raising many of those issues. Um, and I thank the developer for being responsive to our many of our requests. Um, and, and so I tried to step back and, and think about this proposal anew um, and, and try to evaluate, you know, on the balance what I believe that this is contributing and whether or not I think that this should happen. Um, I want to say that I think that this development can easily be an extension of Village at Tom's Creek. And I agree with you that the connection, the grade of it, and the width of it is not ideal. Um, but when I think about 
the two roads so close together and those neighborhoods not being connected, something seems wrong to me. Um, I spent a long time driving around Highland Park to try to figure out because there's, you know, not conclusive evidence that it's dangerous, you know, trying to experience for myself, is this dangerous? Um, I, I asked town staff if there had been documented evidence of additional traffic crashes, you know, even in weather impacted time periods, and, and there were none. Um, you know, I myself live in an area with pretty steep places with pretty small landings, and there are places that we avoid in the ice for sure. Um, but I wouldn't not have them there. And I think that if this place were more, let's say, like Shadow Lake Village, where intentionally cars were removed from the, the residential setting itself, then I would be in favor of it just being a pedestrian access. But because both of these neighborhoods are designed, you know, to be accessed fully by vehicles, it seems to me that the connection should be a vehicular connection. Um, I think that this, you know, kind of going into talking about the PRD now, I think that this um, proposal very cleverly provides a transition from the village at Tom's Creek to uh, Glade Road, which in my opinion, given its proximity to amenities and the university should be developed more densely. <laughs> it takes sort of a not so dense village of Tom's Creek adjacent into a not so dense part of Glade Springs Crossing and then sort of cleverly integrates it into a more heavily dense place at the correct location. And I've given a lot of thought to the trails um, and the sidewalks and I think that the trails and the sidewalks actually, some of the omissions help with that transition because as um, the neighbors have mentioned, and, and I appreciate you guys sharing what you've learned from your neighborhood and how it was designed and how you experience it and, and what you think that that means for, for this neighborhood. Um, but I think that, you know, the character of the northern part of this development matches very closely to the character of the village of Tom's Creek. And as we get toward the more dense area, we start to integrate sidewalks sort of like Honeysuckle, and to me, that's kind of two bookends um, of, of more affordable housing, relatively affordable housing, compared to the larger structures that are built sort of in the interior. Um, I think that the public partner, pub, public-private partnerships um, that are proposed here are highly innovative, and the future of affordable housing. Um, it's not really possible to get everything that we want, everything that you guys describe in an ideal neighborhood, in an ideal housing setting, without substantially more subsidy. Um, and I want to point toward recently, um, Virginia Housing gave each of the planning district commissions across Virginia $2 million to build 20 units. Some of them built 20 units, some of them built more. It really depended on how much additional federal and state and local funds, that they public funds, that's the key, they could leverage into that affordable housing. <clears throat> Here, we're not leveraging a lot of public funds, um, and I think that that's very important. Instead, uh, the developer is looking for ways to save in the market and, and thereby leveraging 
um, private funds and some savings that they're able to derive through the multitude of variances. And I know that, you know, we've talked about this being a lot of variances, but in order to get the amount of housing and affordable housing that we need in this town, we're going to have to rethink some of these regulations. They are extremely costly. Um, and, you know, I've heard on multiple occasions, just as an example, with like the rolled top curb, you know, our requirement to build, you know, full curb and gutter, you know, prior to a building permit being issued is a major barrier for development of affordable housing in Blacksburg relative to our neighbors in Christiansburg and Montgomery County and Pulaski and so on. Um, and so I think that, that this developer and the Planning Commission and staff, oh my gosh, staff, y'all have done so much work, um, have given so much thought to what variances, you know, are absolutely necessary in, to, in order to cause this to happen. And this is the kind of creative thinking that we need to rethink our regulations so that we can be a more inclusive community. It's not just us, right? It's communities across Virginia that are dealing with this right now. But, but we are now exploring sort of the edge of what is being done throughout the state. And, and I'm very happy to be in a forward-thinking community um, that has a community land trust that can accept these properties and that can, you know, consider what is the most important in order to get people into our community and be able to have that stepping stone um, into home ownership. I would like to see um, more energy efficiency. Um, you know, in a way, we've started setting up these trade-offs between energy efficiency, affordability, accessibility, um, and density. And in, in this case, you know, we've got the, the affordable housing in a way that we've never seen it before, and it's an, it's an excellent contribution. Um, we don't, we haven't talked as much about the accessibility in this um, rezoning, and we, we don't have the, the degree of energy efficiency I would like to see um, with this kind of density. Um, but I do acknowledge that there have to be trade-offs, and in order for us to get more people into our town um, and more people who need that foothold of a first-time home buyer, um, we have to grapple with the fact that builders need square footage to recover land costs. They can put that square footage into big old houses and get a huge margin, and that is their preferred way to go about it. Um, we can go that way, or we can get more houses into that space and re recover the square footage that way. But I have to point out that it's more expensive to do that because there's more kitchens and bathrooms in that scenario and <clears throat> more infrastructure in that scenario. Um, and in all my work that I've done with developers and, and um, local governments trying to achieve affordable housing, we are just up against a wall with regulation um, and, and how it immobilizes communities in order to be inclusive. Um, so, so this is one step, I think, toward grappling with that. Um, and, and I'm willing to make the trade-offs in order to try to go there. Um, I, you know, we've all taken a different look at the comprehensive plan. Um, 
And I believe that this lines up exactly with our housing um, goals and has the option to achieve our connectivity goals. Um, and and uh, Jerry mentioned the water retention and environment and, and you know, I think that it is in line with our, our environmental goals. Uh, I would urge the developer to include permeable driveways. I think that that's an easy, low-hanging fruit that um, could really improve things. And then my last note is I urge the town council to pay attention to the homeowners association. I don't think that that is within the planning commission's purview of the comp plan and the land use, but I do believe that the developer must set up a sustainable association capable of maintaining common spaces and that should be the developer's fiduciary responsibility. Um, there's additional regulation coming down the pipe um, from Virginia to address that to some degree. But, you know, what the residents have said about the roadside ditches not being maintained, that should be the purview of the Homeowners Association. Likewise, the landscaping, very creative, and I like it um, as a cost-saving measure, but it must be maintained by the Homeowners Association, and, and these things um, have to be the purview of council to try to ensure that the homeowners association um, is sound and able to do these things that's all. interesting discussion well i'll go and I'd, I'd like to first address the issue of um, connection i the connectivity proposal that we've heard tonight um, in my view, is an unacceptable um, option, um, given the limitations of the space, the elevation, and the entrance into um, the neighborhood proper. Um, connection is a very important thing, and I really think it should be happening at more of a collector road, arterial road um, type status. So utilizing the same road down uh, Village Way South up to Honeysuckle um, provides a more reasonable connection um, for this. So there are options out there. Um, the only other option that we've heard are the murmurings of what came up in some work sessions that is very troubling to me, which is to eliminate connection altogether. That's a fully unacceptable um, outcome for this, um, in my view. And to talk about that really quickly, I'd like to review something that actually happened in the town with the town's um, input in another development um, in the same part of town, actually in the north end, west of 460, just in the last year. Um, there was a case that was brought before the Board of Zoning Appeals, um, and that was related to um, some rulings from the Blacksburg Zoning Administrator regarding um, development connectivity, street design, and road length. Um, again, in the North End. So just for everybody's clarity, the Board of Zoning Appeals um, is appointed at the request of Town Council, um, just uh, like Planning Commission is. However, the review actual appointments are made by the Montgomery County Circuit Court as a separation um, of duties so they can actually rule um, in, in the disputes. So in Boarding Zone of Appeals case 22-0001, um, there were some questions as far as a development that is very similar in size to um, uh, 
the development we're looking at now. Um, it was actually for by right in RR1, and it was at one quarter the density of the Glade Spring Crossing. And I think that's very important as we go through this. Now, it was a very complicated case, um, so I'm going to try to very quickly with a couple of bullet points um, go over four main points that were addressed, and those four main points were voted on individually by the Board of Zoning Appeals. Okay, the first one addressed, um, according to the Zoning Administrator, failure to provide connectivity to adjoining properties. Okay, so this is a little bit um, opposite of what we're talking about now. It was the first property providing connectivity to future properties, um, but it did address um, the importance of that connectivity between um, properties. Uh, failure to provide coordination of neighborhood streets with district collector roads and arterials. Okay, so again, um, similar to the ability to get this proposed neighborhood um, to those uh, collector roads. Third, failure to design compliant cul-de-sacs and establishment of improper road lengths. So similar to Glade Springs Crossing, this was proposing without a secondary outlet roads of over 2,000 feet. Um, and finally, um, fourth, establishment of improper block lengths. So over 1,200 foot maximum length blocks. Um, and those blocks have two outlets by definition, saying that 1,200 feet, we talked about the 900-foot rule, that 1,200 feet is the maximum you should have for that. So that sets up some parameters for how the town is looking to protect um, these different levels. So the Board of Zoning Appeals voted on all four of those. There was a unanimous um, in support of the zoning administrator's um, views. So again, just to reiterate the point, that was for a development that only had one quarter the density of what we're talking about. So I think this illustrates a couple of views. One, not just the connectivity part, but the impact that we can have by closing in a neighborhood and not allowing it to um, flow outward into the, um, into the rest of the town. Um, beyond that, just to, to finish up, um, the density asks, um, I believe the gains that we're looking at getting are at much too high of a cost. I think monetarily and environmentally, um, we seem to be pursuing premium um, I, I guess the premium pricing of housing in order to achieve something that I feel that we could achieve with possibly upfitting existing housing stock. We want to help the most people possible, and I think that the costs here are excessive. I'd like to just um, comment a couple things. This is such such a struggle because um, I think for most of us who uh, live in Blacksburg, the absence of affordable housing is heartbreaking and very real. Um, I know that the only reason I have the house I have is because I got it before <laughs> all the prices went up. I could not afford to buy the house that I bought 24 years ago here now. And, and I so deeply support the goals and intentions of the owner. Um, I remember hearing him speak uh, of this intention prior to this application and just thinking, who is this person? And I want, I want more of them in our town. 
Um, and I really hope that a better version of this proposal can come to us because I agree with a couple of my colleagues up here that I just, as I'm weighing, as I'm so drawn to any affordable housing, I can get blinded um, in, the, in the desperate need for that in our community. But as we have worked on this and, and uh, talked about it for months, I, I feel like Joel just said that the trade-off um, is too high. Um, and so what was striking to me when Mel was talking is that I agree with every single thing you said. Yeah. And, and yet I come thinking, but that's, that's the, the challenge, right? Is that we figure out a way to do this better and with less cost um, across the board. Um, and I just, maybe I am ridiculously optimistic or naive, but I absolutely believe that the great minds that have come to this conversation, everybody here, uh, the developer, the applicant, this commission, the town council, uh, can figure out what is the right usage of this property to achieve Carrie Hopper's goals, but without uh, what I consider to be way too many unanswered concerns and problems. Thank you. Yeah. Anything further? Yeah, I, um, I agree with, with um, Commissioner Reinhardt like, wholeheartedly on this. Because um, I'm, of course, very drawn to anything that has an affordable housing component in Montgomery County or in, in Blacksburg in particular. Um, and also because I've been on this commission since July and I sure would like to vote for something for a change. Um, <laughs> But, but as has been said already, the trade-offs are, are insurmountable with the, the current proposal. Um, but, but I agree. I'm optimistic that there is a way to make this work. Um, I, I, I don't want to sound pessimistic or say, you know, we should give up or um, just shelve this for good because um, this proposal does have, um, it does have a very solid core. Uh, I, believe, I believe it's... Um, in the right, the right neighborhood, so to speak, for what we'd like to, to see in this space. Um, but again, they're just, they're at the moment, um, too many, there's an overwhelming number of concerns that I have about, about this project. Thank you. Any further? I, I'll keep it brief, but I would say I have to agree with a lot, a lot of what is said. My major concerns, um, well, I'll say first, this is needed. We need this housing. We absolutely need this housing and we need it with connectivity. We also need it with sidewalks and consideration for safety. Having gone to um, the neighborhood, I don't, I'm gonna have to agree with the person who asked about what happened you know, 20 years ago. Um, I don't see that area for connection, um, at least from one end, working. So right now, um, those things are outweighing the very, very strong need we have for affordable and reasonable um, 
housing in this area. It's not as much the density for me, but how we connect it to other neighborhoods, how we, um, how we fix what are already problems in this neighborhood in terms of stormwater and sidewalks and how we make it work for not only the people who are already there, but those who will be there. Thank you. Well, I think we've been looking at this proposal since December. I read over all of us, I guess I've read over a thousand pages of information from staff, the applicant, literature, and your letters and lessons. Um, and, you know, the four key areas are density, affordable housing, the environment, and the connection. And, and I'll address each of those. And I agree with everything my fellow commissioners have said in, in many, many respects. But I think I, I, I look at it from a different lens of risk management, I guess. Density, the density portion, you know, with the exception of those of us who were fortunate enough to be born here, we all came here. And uh, we came here for a lot of reasons, but one of the unifying reasons is because it's a dynamic area to live in a very authentic rural context. And, you know, we're not alone. Many people have been, you know, succumbed to the charms of this place, and they keep coming. And Virginia Tech is, you know, winning the academic arms race. They're pulling in, uh, you know, they're attracting the dwindling number of students uh, in the demographic. They're they're succeeding there. They're cranking out intellectual property. It's giving rise to businesses that need, you know, have employees and those employees and their families. What do they need when they come here? Uh, you know, they need office space, housing, access to schools, um, fire and rescue, police, water and wastewater capacity, transportation quarters, public transportation, recreational opportunities, access to retail, groceries, medical care, other services. And, and how do we accommodate all these people and all these demands without impacting this rural setting, this golden goose? It's density. <laughs> and density in those areas that are proximal to infrastructure, that are walkable, that are nearby existing shopping and service opportunities, that are bikeable to key employment centers and retail hubs. If we fail to make these developments more dense, we're going to end up with sprawl along every border in every direction. Let's look what's happening out of Price's Fork hundreds of units that are coming into play. Those are gonna house families that will get in their cars and they're gonna to drive to work, they're gonna to drive to recreation, attend schools, access goods and services, all located in this town. If we want more of that, if we wanna ensure we get more of that, then we need to ensure that we don't allow density within our borders. There's not too many opportunities for what we got going on this site. It's dense, I understand that. But, you know, they ask for a lot of variances, and I would agree with Mel. The reason the variances were asked for is because this type of housing doesn't jive with our 30-year-old zoning regulations. Our 30-year-old zoning regulations are set up for, you know, R4, 
for, uh, and this is not our four, and it shouldn't be our four. So, you know, I don't think density is a bad word. I don't think it's a bad practice. It reduces housing costs. Most importantly, it reduces sprawl, and it offers homes to people who will pay taxes in town, which is what I think we need to focus on. The affordable housing piece, I, you know, I, I, everybody wants it, but, you know, I hear, but not here. If not here, then where? I mean, we got this opportunity to work with a willing developer to weave some affordable housing into the fabric of this development. The proposed number of units that are, uh, will nearly double the town stock of officially affordable homes for purchase. That's huge. This housing will be indistinguishable from the market rate housing surrounding it, and that's going to allow for genuine socioeconomic integration. We don't have that in this town. We don't. Additionally, the scale and type of the market rate housing that's going to be developed in that southern portion of the site is going to create a price point for entry into this housing market. I think I heard the missing middle <laughs> uh, in Blacksburg. It just uh, currently doesn't exist with respect to new construction. And, and the town needs to benefit from that, that housing product. We need it in our housing stock. The environmental impact, let me give you a little context where I'm coming from on this topic. I'm a licensed professional geologist. I'm a licensed professional environmental engineer. And I'm a lead approved professional with an emphasis on sustainable site development. I practiced in the environmental field for 40 years. I sat on the state and federal technical advisory committees that developed the quantitative analysis employed by the current stormwater regulations. I've argued their efficacy before Congress. The currency by which we evaluate environmental impact of development is nutrient reduction. I realize the, the current stormwater regulations, they're flawed. You know, they, we, we, they, they don't account for climate change and increased stormwater intensity, but they're significantly better than what was in place when the vast majority of the watershed that drains to this site was developed. Acres of upgrading and impervious drain to this site. Under this proposal, the runoff, that runoff that drains to this site will be captured and it will be treated. As a result, this site will not only remove its nutrient contribution, but it will also result in an additional 12 pounds of phosphorus or 50% more than its impact. Additionally, downstream flooding will, and scour will be reduced by this retention. Accordingly, that channel will receive the outflow from this pond and it will be allowed to stabilize, further reducing the sediment loads to Tom's Creek. Temperature will continue to be an impact to Tom's Creek. However, the limited impacts that may occur due to the residency of the water in that site's wet pond pale in comparison to the thousands of gallons of water that are warmed on the pavement upstream that cover the upgradient watershed that flows to this site. On balance, this proposal, I can state equivocally, creates a net environmental uplift that will benefit Tom Creek's, Tom's Creek watershed in perpetuity. The connection. The connection is flawed. And I don't blame the developer. I don't blame the site. It was a poor layout to begin with. Whoever drew it in there, you know, 30 years ago, whoever allowed the, the driveways to be installed where they are, that's a whole other issue. But I also agree that a development like this needs to be connected you know, it's a debate whether that, that, you know, 
of planning practices, and that exceeds any time I want to spend on it tonight. But I will say this. I believe one should exist purely from a safety standpoint. you got to have two ways in, two ways out. And I don't think a bollard, locked pedestrian walkway is the way to go. Uh, you know, if there's a 500-year storm and people are cut off from transport, if there's trees that fall in the way, if there's car accidents, people need to get out. And there needs to be two ways to do it. And what's there is a flawed situation. I don't know how to fix it. Um, but in the absence of that, we need an open vehicular passage. And uh, before us tonight provides that in a flawed manner. So I'll leave it at that. That concludes my comments, and I thank you for hearing me out. And with that, have any more discussion? We'll put it to a vote. We have a motion and a second on the table. All those in favor of the motion and a second? Aye. Aye. All those opposed? Thank you. We'll now move on to citizen comment. Uh, citizens can address the commission on anything that they'd like to speak to, um, this hearing or others. Hearing none, we'll move on to unfinished business, the Zoning Ordinance Review Committee. Sir, yes. Could I say one thing? I, I'm sorry, you can't. Thank you. No, no, you cannot. Oh. You can come address us no. under citizen comment. You can't yell. You can't yell at us from your seat. <laughs> can I come up here? Is that all right? Yes, you may under citizen comment. All right. So I debated talking about this because uh -huh. I don't want to give the illusion that it is an option. I think it's a possibility. And that is the, the connector road change of location. I've sent all of you guys an email about it. I gave you a map. Do I know it's an option that will work? No, absolutely not. I don't. Does the developer think it's a good option that could work? No, absolutely not. Um, an engineer in our neighborhood looked at it, said, I don't think it'll work. But that's the thing is everybody that has talked about it says, I don't think it will work. So I think, think it would be prudent to say, let's do the math. Why not? Why aren't we doing the math? Why can't we hire an engineer, hire a firm, send a crew out to survey it, see if it will work, look at the rules, look at the parameters, and say, OK, yeah, the math works. Or no, it doesn't work. Before we sign off on a connector road that is by all accounts, a terrible connector road. I think everybody agrees that it's less than ideal. Let's do some math. Could it work? Could it help out? I don't know. The developer, I called Meredith Jones on the phone. I don't think it will work, was her response. She doesn't know. I don't know. But let's do the math. I think that's the prudent thing to do to help the situation, right? I don't see why not. I really think there's an opportunity there. And before y'all just say, let's put this connector road through, I think that's something that could be explored. So for what it's worth, my two cents. Thank you. Thank you. I, I would like to point out that there is under, I appreciate those thoughts and, and, and I welcome them. But please speak only once 
during a specific hearing, but we are in citizen comment, so you are welcome to speak if you have additional things you'd like to say regarding this, this hearing. Um, so I, this isn't like script or anything, I haven't thought this out, but we've been talking a lot today about the issue of affordable housing. Um, I'm a social worker and I see from all of you the strong desire to put in affordable housing and I think that's an honorable goal. And when we talk about this goal, I think it's equally important to consider that the working class or those of a lower socioeconomic status should not be grateful to have whatever they can get. We should be considering quality and the best quality of life that we can provide to them and that does not mean like I see these variances and these kind of I mean someone I think had said like lowering of standards and there's this push to give to make these affordable housing units but we should also account for the fact that these should be to the same standard that any other housing unit should be affordable housing is a matter of social justice and I think that is an issue that is on the forefront of everybody's minds I encourage everybody to think about that I also encourage everybody to think about the fact that environmental justice is inherently connected to social justice. So when we think about safety of the environment you're building, when you think about the protection of the environment, that is preserving this place for future generations, that is making this a better place to live, that is social justice. And I think it's really important to consider that for future motions that come through here. So. Thank you. And if you just wouldn't mind your name and address, just for the record, you could either sign it or just say it. If it's okay. Come address us. <laughs> I know you are afraid, but. <laughs> Honestly, thank you. I come uh, from a point of view where I did not know how this process works and what is this process going to look like. But if this is what democracy is, we are in great hands. Thank you. <laughs> Anything further? Great. I'm going to close uh, citizen comment then. All right. Going once, going twice. All right. Citizen comment is closed. Thank you. Um, we'll move on to unfinished business, zoning ordinance review committee. Uh, we did meet, uh, we did uh, work on the uh, accessory dwelling, the detached accessory dwelling, um, and we have a, op uh, uh, a citizen. There's, yeah, there's a public input meeting, public input meeting. this Thursday night at 6 o'clock over at the Blacksburg Motor Company, oh. and we're happy to update citizens on the work that's being done to update our accessory apartment permit program and we're also looking at adding the option for detached accessory apartments which are not allowed today so anybody's welcome to come and that whole amendment to the zoning ordinance will be going through a public hearing process similar to this hopefully with less than four work sessions right. planning commission <laughs> but it also is a public hearing process great thank you this thursday night at the blacksburg motor company 400 south main street it's a public input meeting on changes to the accessory apartment permit program that the town has. So if you're interested in just knowing what exactly are you doing or what can I do today, please feel free to come. Focus on the on detached units, which I think could be interesting. Like a garage apartment or a carriage house. The uh, Historic Design or Review Board, our architect is in Hawaii. 
Oh my. The Montgomery County Planning Commission. That was me. Okay. Um, so they considered three items. One was just a simple um, division of a parcel and building on two lots on Price's Fork. Um, the other one was removal of um, or rezoning from a one agricultural to general business um, for a travel center. Um, and, and that one, th they're looking to build a, a Love's Travel Center um, there. And then, let's see. Oh, it was only two. It was those two. I don't know why I had it as three. I think there were just items um, related to the Love's. And, and you know, they carefully considered the Love's and, and environmental impact and impact to neighbors. Uh, it was a good discussion. The, but the biggest takeaway for me was their drone pictures. So they have these phenomenal drone pictures of that huge site where you can really see the lay of the land um, in a way that I felt like would have really benefited us in this rezoning. Mm -hmm. um, so I would, you know, urge staff to consider drones as a <laughs> <laughs> an opportunity for us to, to just get, you know, particularly in a big parcel scenario, the lay of the land and, and it, it just the... The pictures were huge and phenomenal and very detailed, and it was just easy to see um, what was going on on that huge parcel and the neighboring parcels. Um, so, that's great. Yep. Thank you. Uh, any additional items from Planning Commission? I have one quickly, if I can. Um, I just want to put in a public plea. So, for the last three months, we've been working very hard trying to get the Planning Commission listserv to work. So I'm throwing my neck out on the block here and just asking, uh, I'm not asking uh, planning staff, I'm asking for help from the town. Um, we just had a very, very intensive review and we did not have access in real time to citizen uh, input. And I have to be honest, I'm terribly distressed about that. So I really hope that we can find something um, to get us something that works. Um, it, everything used to work, yeah. but um, I, we really, really need it. Um, I, I don't know how to do my job without that. I, I know planning staff does a fantastic job of compiling everything and providing it for us, and thank you very much for doing that. And I know planning staff has also tried to help us get this resolved, um, but I just think it's really important. We need it fixed. The fix is going to be issuance of new town emails. Okay. And that could be done by IT. They said they could do that. So we'll do that. I would just say, in terms of correspondence, we are posting everything to the web. Right. So I just want everybody to know. Oh, absolutely. No, I. That it, that y'all didn't get it. You just, as you said, didn't get it in the real time. Right. That that some of you didn't get it in real time. Yep. Great. Thank you. I'll move on to new business. Chair's report. I have none. Planning director's report. Uh, just to, you'll get an email from staff, but we are resuming regional training for planning commissioners. That's led by the regional commission. Uh, the training will be on April 20th, which is a Thursday evening, and it will be held at the government center, and uh, the town pays for that training, and we'll get you more information. But if you want to go ahead and mark your calendar for that evening of um, April 20th. You know the topic, Anne? Uh, it's, we're, we're doing two sessions. Uh, one is going to be kind of larger scale solar, and we've got some good guest speakers. The other is going to be more of a panel discussion for kind of how to how planning commission meetings run. Um, it's for just for the benefit of the audience. It's for planning commissioners throughout our region. 
So it's a chance for you to meet your peers in other regions. And in that particular one, we're gonna do some scenarios of things that would happen and how would you as planning commissioners handle them uh, if, if they came up. It can be related to conflicts of interest, FOIA requests, things of that nature. So I hope that you'll uh, join us for that. You What's get the dinner. time? Uh, it will start at six. And then there's dinner and then these two sessions and you swap. You do one and then we take a break and you swap if you need. That's the 22nd, did you say? It is the 20th, Thursday, April 20th. I'm gonna say 420, but that just might have a little different connotation than we remember. what was training you. <laughs> All right, that sounds good. No, it's specifically uh, invited training for the planning commissioners. Great, town council report. Uh, we're getting ready to do budget, and we're getting ready to do Great Spring Crossing. Hey. Fantastic. All right. With that, we stand adjourned. Thank you.